You understand the meaning of the word foreboding? As in badness is happening right now. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Far too kind. Oh, you guys are a hell of a duet here. Why'd you start harmonizing? Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cook and roll with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need you. Because lobsters live for over 100 years. Now what the hell are you waiting for? After me, there should be no more. So for one last time, make some noise. That's for John Lennon, you Yankee fucking cunt. Everybody, it's nice to be back on this microphone right here with my buddy Cole and our friend Andrew. This is Above the Title, a podcast about the state of the 21st century movie star. I'm Connor, by the way. And this week we're here what to talk the about. What the fuck was that? I'm just going for it. I'm going for it. Oh my God. And uh, we're talking about Terry Malick's The New World from 2005. We. Should we redo it? No, no. <laughs> we we have been on three or four separate Zoom calls now for the past hour. I think it might even be more than that. <laughs> trying, well, no, no. Trying, I think we've I think yeah. we've each left and joined a Zoom call like more than five or six yeah, times. Like yeah. trying to get this thing working, and we finally get it working. <laughs> and then Connor fucking intros this thing like he's an old dude saying hi to his favorite waitress at like a Denny's. <laughs> hey man, we're here. We're here. We're talking. You're not violently sick anymore. Yeah, so. I'm not sick. This is the first episode we've recorded since I got sick. This is the first episode we recorded since we had to skip a week. And I am sorry for skipping a week, but I and was very ill. I think, you know, just to put it out there right off the bat, dis- like or dislike, I think this is a lot more interesting than our Scrubs discussion could like ever oh. possibly end up becoming. You don't <laughs> the, think so? The Scrubs discussion got weirdly hostile. Because uh, Connor apparently loves Zach Braff. Yeah, um, my hero. You know, he's he Andrew. Andrew, our guest is Andrew yeah. Kinsella, by the way, gang, who can speak whatever Hello. he wants to. You haven't listened to it because it's not out yet. But like yeah. me and our guest on that episode kept just like taking pot shots at Zach Braff, <laughs> and Andrew would like want to step. In. Connor, fuck, wow, Connor would want to step in. For for Zach Braff's defense, I think it's Jersey I Pride. I don't know if that's what happened. <laughs> no, 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 no. What happened was, what happened was, I, I had I had reservations about putting McKinley 
on the New Jersey Wall of Fame. But Braff, it seems it's for whatever reason, it seems unjust to to withhold Braff from the New Jersey Wall of Fame. And that's what got that's what got us caught up because I I I feel more akin to you guys like yeah, most the of the time. Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if he sucks, but you know who? I'm not like sucks? the biggest fan. I've seen, of like world. two episodes of Scrubs, so I don't. I don't. Are you gonna say Terrence Malick? Terrence Malick. False. This is the Terry Malick episode of Above the Title. Everybody, this is the one where I'm the bad guy. What do you not like about him, Cole? Uh, his movies. <laughs> not <laughs> no, an acceptable that's, answer. That's not. I don't hate Terrence Malick. It's just that the Tree of Life is bullshit. It is a bullshit movie. Uh, that people have spent like the better part of a decade, uh, trying to convince me is good. And it's mm. not, and they're wrong, and they're lying to me, and they're lying to you, America. That movie is like bad American beauty. Just getting um, called bad American beauty. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I. They are the exact like that film same quite movie. a lot more than American. Not even close. They are functionally the, it's, <laughs> Tree of okay. Life and American Beauty. We're gonna we're gonna power rank them. It's Tree of Life at the bottom. Then American Beauty is like the more nuanced and interesting version of Tree of Life. I don't then, even. <laughs> then Blue Velvet is the more interesting and nuanced version of American Beauty. And then Back <laughs> to the Future is the more nuanced and interesting version of Blue Velvet. So, like, Zemeckis got what? it. Zemeckis figured out the, like, 50 suburbia malaise thing. And then, Andrew, like, am I every, alone over here? Every I feel like I'm on an island. <laughs> every iterative version of it, it just gets dumber and dumber. And then Malik's fucking mother father yeah always you wrestle it's just fucking jesse chastain twirling for like an hour you know what's a good you know what's a good 2011 movie where jessica chastain plays a woman in suburban texas married to a tempestuous man failing to properly rescue raise his children um take Take shelter. shelter Take fucking oh, shelter. That is, that, that is a picture, baby. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think that's what Tree of Life is about. Um, I can understand like the and, uh, referencing you're you're making here, but I just think inherently like that's not what the film is about. So I guess uh, if you're trying to say that it's my, a worse example of that than those other three films, then I guess I actual, have to agree with you because I don't think that's what the film is about at, at its base level. Here's here's my, my actual thing about Terrence Malick is that Badlands needed to be directed by Tony Scott to work. Uh, Days of Heaven is unassailable. And I will not hear a bad word spoken against it. Uh, the Thin Red Line is not a real movie. Uh, it's basically <laughs> a joke. The Thin yeah. Red Line is basically a parody of art films. Uh, yeah. The Tree of Life is total nonsense. And then Song to Song is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. And if I hate Terrence Malick, it's because I had to watch Song to Song. You like uh, you dislike Song to Song more than uh, To the Wonder and um, Night never, of Cups? I never saw To the Wonder. I was just yeah. like, I'm good. Uh, Knight of Cups is bad, but it's not a war crime. Knight of Cups is Knight of Cups bad. to me is the way that you're describing the Thin Red Line, where it's like oh, this yeah. is a parody oh, yeah. of art cinema. Um, <sighs> yeah, it's 
I appreciate it though. It's not I, I think I, yeah. I think he gave I think he gave like uh he made so those three in a row to the wonder Knight of Cups and Song to Song. I think he made attempts to try to tell like less violent, more intimate stories about real human beings. And I think he I think to me, it doesn't seem like he and I know he doesn't have like public interviews, but just based off of the succeeding film he's made it doesn't seem to me like he's liked any of those three and he's kind of felt he's felt like those did a sufficient job of what he was attempting to do but i do appreciate because i think he he enjoys the process of making those films and that's why he continued to make them um even though they weren't necessarily accomplishing maybe what he set out to uncover or achieve i think on balance I think he is a deeply vapid filmmaker. And I don't even think there's anything wrong with that. But I mm-hmm. think he's afraid of his own vapidity. And so his movies like hurdle forward at this almost like incalculably fast pace to like disguise the fact that they are about emptiness. Whereas, say, someone like Antonioni. Or someone like Sofia Coppola is like comfortable in that vapidity and and they're willing to meet it head on. Like Malik is interested in, I think, similar concerns, but doesn't have the bravery to to really live in just how fucking empty these movies want to be. That being said, Days of Heaven is fucking unassailable, right? That thing's incredible. I this is it would be the there, laugh I of the century if you guys. The were new like world is my favorite of of his days of heaven. It's literally heaven. my favorite of his films. The one we we just watched. Yeah. Yeah. I don't Andrew, I don't have much of a relationship with Terrence Malick. Like okay, I I've seen Badlands. And, like well, for all of his movies, really, like I have trouble remembering them mm-hmm. because they're kind of like not sequential and just I like I think yeah. that's part of the yeah. I think um, I think that's intentional though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I think he's making films that are supremely experiential and um, not necessarily. I think he's making. I think he's. I think post. I mean, Badlands is his first film, but I think everything he's done after that has progressively gotten less and less textual. Yeah, gotten less and less literary. I, this um, one actually, I think we'll get it. We'll go. We'll, we'll get yeah, into yeah. it. I get, we'll get, I get the point you're making. I know. I know the route that you're 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 thinking ahead to, and we'll get to it later. I, yeah. I am in agreement with you there. Um, but I yeah. think there are Andrew, reasons for it. Yeah. Yeah. You you asked for this one fairly early. Yeah. Well, uh, you were the um, first people. I offered it to. No, I offered, you offered, I offered it. it. Okay. Because yeah, I was yeah. wondering what what why the choice there if you're not a huge mallet guy. Well, so that that like so I don't. I don't like not like Badlands or Thin Red Line, but I kind of watched them and was like, that was interesting and never felt compelled to go back to them. And I think the new world for me, I like I'm, I love history and American history. And so I feel like I don't know that I loved the new world when I first watched it. I think I might have seen the normal cut, though. Yeah. which I just watched this morning and I don't like as much. The theatrical um, one or the Yeah, the theatrical. One. The okay. 215. I, I, I've, yeah. I've been watching the extended since, I don't know, however yeah. long. Um, so it's like a, 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 just a good um, matchup subject matter for me, I guess, is why I ended up 
gravitating to this one. I've seen it, I don't know, like six times. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and I, wow. I don't, I don't think I remembered this one either very well, like how it, how it plays out, if you know what I'm saying. And like mm-hmm. each time it's almost like rewatching it anew to an extent. But you, um, you've only really watched it since Criterion put out. The no, I jump in, I jump in too. Yeah. I jump yeah. in also just yeah. to do some selling on, on your behalf, Andrew. Andrew has written an extraordinary, what what is it? 165 page long yeah, screenplay about long. contemporary <laughs> issues of colonialism in South America. Yeah. And, okay. um, oh, I was yeah. fortunate enough for Andrew to let me read it, um, you know, about a little more than a year ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talked about this film. We talked about um, well, you, another you Colin Farrell project. Of- you yeah. gave me a list of movies that you reminded you of. And I was like, you hit like everyone on the head except for the new world was the one that the that uh you missed. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> and so we talked about it a bit from that, I think. Um, and I actually maybe when I was writing that was when I first started watching this movie a bunch. Um, I I don't uh, that seems right to me. I don't know. Yeah. So just for just for brief context sake, this is another movie that Colin Farrell made almost consecutively that has like several cuts floating around. Mm. Um, yeah, the, it is so, uh, the third out of the last third out of five. Yeah, that like uh, third out of the last five that we've looked at. What was the like other that. one other than Alexander? Daredevil. Um, Daredevil. Daredevil. But yeah. Daredevil, Daredevil <laughs> has like the, the, the Daredevil has the normal two cut mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Right? Um, so here's what's going on. And Alexander has four in this. Alexander film has, has four. Um, not only does Alexander have four, but all of them have like each one, each cut of Alexander, I believe, has something that's not in the other three. Like it's, it's not yeah. just that he lengthened or shortened them; it's that he did both at the same time with every cut. Like I can't remember every- which jump it is. I think maybe it's the first supplemental cut after the theatrical I don't run. Talk it's like about- he removed. <laughs> yeah, but it's like Oliver Stone removed like thirty-five minutes of footage and then added back like twenty-seven minutes of footage that wasn't in the initial. Yeah. It's interesting though because Malik Malik is someone who spends so much time in post production traditionally mm-hmm. um that like years will pass from when he's wrapped a movie especially more recently like the the Night of Cups song to song duology I I can tell you because I know when song to song shot because I was living in Austin when song to song shot uh, and, I, and I remember when everyone was there. Song to shot, song to song shot four years before it came out. And Did it come out in 2017? 2017. And, and it shot Night in 2013. Of, it shot in early 2013. And yeah. Night of Cups was shot around the same time. In fact, I have heard some scuttlebutt, and I don't know how legitimate this is. This is just a thing I remember hearing people say when it was being kicked around. I, I have heard some scuttlebutt that Night of Cups and Song to Song entered production as the same project. And I feel like I remember I can definitely that. Definitely see yeah. that. Yeah. And at some point, he chose to segment the Hollywood and the music stuff into their own movies because those movies are so formally similar. 
So is Kate Blanchett supposed to play the same character I'm in both not of those films? Sure, but I also never want to think about those movies ever again. I think uh, they're I think they're like I said, I I appreciate his willingness to just give it a try. Yeah. I don't think those films work. I don't think they're complete disasters. Like, I don't agree oh. with you that it's like one of the worst films oh, I've ever God. seen. Song to song is so bad. <laughs> song to song is fucking Blade Runner 2049 bad. Oh, like, that it's, movie it's is so fucking, fucking good. It's a yeah, fucking the war fuck cry <laughs> of a movie. You're it making it sound you're more. making it sound better by, by comparing it to that. Um can but I, yeah, that's that's I my mean, like kind of something, Connor, real quick. Yeah, because you like Blade Runner twenty forty nine so much, and now you are coming to to bat for the other terrible Ryan Gosling movie of twenty seventeen. <laughs> Do you like Only God Forgives? Because I think of those three <laughs> movies as this like bottomless nadir of that man's career. Um, I used to the first time I saw Only God Forgives. Son I was, of a bitch. I shouldn't. Have I <laughs> wait. What? I shouldn't have clapped that loud. Into the I don't know. The first time I saw Only God Forgives, I was um very disappointed. And I it think I had sucks. seen it once more um after that first time. And I, I continued to not not be very impressed by it. Um our friend Genevieve made a, a a very good case on its behalf to me about two years ago. Um I'm not necessarily sure like I'm on board, but I can see more qualities in it that like i appreciate than i had the first time do i like that film no there is nothing that surprises me less than hearing the genevieve likes that movie (laughs) (laughs) um do you like the nice guys connor uh I think it's a good time at the okay, movies. I don't particularly yourself. like go it. Go fuck yourself. I'm ending this podcast. No, I think there's, I think, I think when I think of the nice guys, I think of that one scene where he thinks the gun is in um, Russell Crowe's ankle holster yeah, and then yeah. he's just dreaming it. And I'm like, that's a fun scene. And I don't remember anything else. About you know what else? If, okay. Andrew, yeah. what's better? The nice guys or Blade Runner 2049? Oh, Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049. What the fuck is wrong? <laughs> the Nice Guys is the best Ryan Gosling movie. The Nice I Guys. Love, I love The Nice Guys. <sighs> That's a fun movie. Yeah, it's a fun movie. Andrew, it's a fun time at the movies. Have you considered that Blade Runner 2049 <laughs> is so bad it makes Blade Runner look like a halfway good All right. movie? All right, let's get let's, <laughs> here's, let's just... here's what I'll say. Here's what I'll say about Song to Song. Is it, it? I actually don't think it's as bad as Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Like truly, as bad as much as I hate it, it's not fucking Blade Runner twenty forty nine bad. Okay, so this was the point I was making, though. Actually, speaking of Ridley Scott, is that for all that Terrence Malick is this guy who will spend years like perfecting the cut, and truly, that's how people talk about it, right? Is that he's just like he's just working on it until he's ready to put it out there. He's quietly become a like Ridley Scott, Michael Mann esque like tinkerer in recent years, where he'll like he'll go back to finished movies for home video and do these radically changed cuts because he did the same thing with Tree of Life, uh, and and I'm hearing I keep hearing rumors he did the same thing with Tree of Life he did the same thing with Voyage of Time and I keep hearing rumors that he's got a fucking to the wonder rework that's going to be coming out eventually. 
So like he's reworking, but this, the new world, the movie we're talking about today, the new world is the first time he did that. Um, So there are three cuts of the new world. The movie premiered at 150 minutes in New York and LA to qualify for the Oscars. Then when it comes out properly, it's premiere was like in an admittedly unfinished state just so that it could qualify. Finished, but it did technically open commercially and played some festivals in this state. Um, and this cuts on the criterion. Then when it opens properly, there's what people call the theatrical cut, which is two hundred, which is an, uh, two hours and fifteen minutes long, which mm-hmm. is the version that actually plays. And then when Criterion put this out on Blu-ray in I think 2016, they put a three-hour cut uh, out. They they put out a set of all three cuts, but the marquee title was that there's this longer cut of the new world. So we have another case, though I think more so than Alexander, I, I, I feel like the consensus is that the, the longer cut is the good cut, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like the theatrical cut as well. Okay. Um, but I think the extended cut is better than the theatrical cut. I know. And I the theatrical in... cut is the the middle cut. The, the initial yes. cut is just called the first cut. Yeah, or sometimes people call it the Italian cut for some reason because I think it's I think it actually still opened in Italy. Like they never swapped out to the shorter cut in Italy. So I've seen some people refer to it as the Italian cut, um, which I think might just be just a habit of there being so many Italian cuts of movies. (laughs) Yeah. I know I came into this recording hot as the anti-Terrence Malick guy. But and because I'm such an anti-Terrence Malick, I, I had never seen this movie, right? I was, you guys knew that coming in, that I had not seen this movie. We were going to record this last week. So last week, I watched the extended cut. And while I did not love it by any means, uh, while I have a lot of issues with it, I found it very beguiling and I found it very enrapturing and I like, more so than with a lot of Malik movies, I was like, I get it. I get how this thing sinks its hooks into people. Yeah. I understand. Because, Andrew, you are not the only person I know who watches this movie over and over again. Yeah. Right? Like, I, yeah. more so than any other Malik movie. I feel like this is the one people say, like, it's almost a comfort movie. I think this is his best film, like I said. And yeah, I think this I, film, I think this film achieves, like, to also speak about his career, he made Badlands in 1972 or 74. I yeah, 74, 73. And then um, Days yeah. of Heaven is 79, correct? Eight. Eight. 78. A perfect movie. But he takes like, literally a 20-year break in yes. between Days of Heaven and The Thin Red Line. Yes. And I think he, I, I, you know, it's partially probably to what you're saying is that Days of Heaven is like an imperfect encapsulation of what he was attempting to do in the 70s when he first began his career as a filmmaker. And I feel like he probably felt a little lost and did not necessarily know where to move on to um, I, uh, for quite some time. Well, he wrote this in the 70s. He wrote. I think he. I think he wrote a treatment of it in the 70s. Um, he said, yeah. I believe, sometime that he had a script or like yeah. around he, the time he, he also had it. a treatment. Or yeah. a script of Tree of Life in the yes, 70s. Tree of Life well. is another. He yeah. he spends the 80s and the 90s. He is developing stuff. I feel like sometimes people talk about it like he's just like he was a semi-retired. Yeah. He is developing stuff. He almost goes in front of cameras 
in something in Paris that I think has never really reshapen, but funding is an issue. I have also heard the rumor that some executive at Paramount was so enraptured by Days of Heaven that he put Terrence Malick on the payroll. Uh, and therefore, Terrence Malick was freed from the need to actually deliver any projects and was able to, like, just take all the time he needed. And because he's Terrence Malick, That's that meant that nothing true. got finished. <laughs> yeah. And that the rumor I've heard is that that guy died in, like, 94 or something. And then they took him off the payroll. And, and the accountants were like, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> Why are we and now no one Malick, like $300,000 every year? I, while I love Days of Heaven, while I have my issues with this movie, I completely understand why you would say this is your favorite Malick. Right? Well, what I, what I was what I was going to say, enchanting. what I was going to say was, I think he's trying, he's attempting to do something narratively different in the Thin Red Line than he had attempted to do in Days of Heaven, yes. and very different from Badlands, which is uh, not not by any means a traditional film, but I think more in line with the avant-garde aesthetic that was like yes. coming out of Europe and, and venturing into America in the early seventies and late sixties. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think he nails his aesthetic vision, this new philosophy he's created towards storytelling with the thin red line. I think he nails it with this film though. And that's why I love it. So much. I, I think this is the one that stands out from all the other post hiatus work. Yeah. In that, well, I haven't seen the Nazi movie. So I haven't either. And it's I good. know he, I, I read some interviews with him where he talked about that movie as him trying to return more to what he did with the New World. Like he was he was thinking of the New World. I think the thing that sets this movie apart from Thin Red Line, Tree of Life, Song to Song, Night of Cups, is that this actually does have a narrative spine to it in a way those oh. other movies don't and in the way the days of heaven and badlands do and that this feels to me like the perfect midpoint of the two modes in a way that works that being said last night i watched the theatrical cut and i think the theatrical cut is kind of a disaster like i think the theatrical cut is yeah. actively bad i For disagree all, with you yeah. but i think watching it i have not watched a theatrical cut since watching the extended cut and i yeah. do feel like if i was to go backwards i would feel yeah. very differently it just, about it every yeah. like i said i walked out of the extended cut with issues but generally being very enraptured with this thing and losing those 40 minutes and we will get into why i think that is just emphasizes i think what what doesn't work about this movie at the expense of what does um so I had a very strong reaction the first time I had seen the theatrical cut in its in in its entirety. I had thought that I had seen this film because a teacher had showed it to us in mm -hmm. high school. I thought I had seen it. it, but we did not watch the whole thing, yeah. which I Classic. never realized until like a couple years ago. Um, I think we cut it off. I think we cut it off right before John Smith goes goes back to start another expedition. And I just had... I for some reason I always thought that was like the end of the film. So was you like, didn't watch the best stuff in the movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for a long time I was like for for a very long time I felt like this film um 
in a similar sense to how you're talking about song to song, maybe, which is just like a director who's been given too much freedom gets lost in his own devices. Yeah. Doesn't make something of any tangible concreteness. Concreteness. Um, that's the way there's nothing concrete yeah. about the 2010s Malik's. They're they're so ephemeral that but he's I, all I can actively see is the aiming bullshit. for ephemerality. But That's the thing. So, he's just not succeeding. So, but <laughs> he he's giving it a try. Okay, he's just not succeeding. But, but I don't particularly care for this director. But if we're going to talk about someone who literally is a Malik acolyte who literally worked on these Malik movies and trained under these Malik movies, you cannot tell me the tree of life is good when David Lowry's a ghost story like is a oh. thousand times more profound and interesting now we're getting into it. than anything I don't really Malik like... has ever done in his career. And that guy literally studied at the feet of Malik, right? Damn, this is crazy. We've never been more different. I do not really what? like a ghost story that much. I, uh, I think it's maybe Lowry's like I, second worst film. Oh, God. Yeah. I don't even think Lowry's <laughs> that good. And I think that's one of the most beautiful movies ever made. <laughs> I don't agree. I, like I, that find that movie <laughs> I think that movie is devastating. I, that's a movie that no. I watch and I'm like, oh, this is a mess. <laughs> yeah. That movie like makes me weep. It's, oh, that's like maybe sight and sound worthy for me. No, I feel close to nothing oh, about watching that movie. And I had the highest expectations in the world when I first saw the still images from it. With with Hollywood both Reporter. those guys, with with Lowry and Malik, I would yeah. like I do not blame anyone for not liking the movie. If you know sure. what I'm saying. Like they're just sure. not gonna be everyone's cup of tea. Well, most David Lowry movies are bad. Like, to be <laughs> clear, most of them are bad. <laughs> I like the ones I've half seen. Half and half. Has he made an even amount, an even number? He has now, I think. I really, really yep. like the Green Knight. He, he's a, oh, I God. like the Green Knight. Yeah, I love the that. The Green film. Knight. The Green Knight is terrible. Pete's Dragon is bad. I, I that's the one I haven't seen. I haven't I seen. The, I haven't seen Peter Pan yet. I haven't um, either. Old Man and the Guns really. Yeah, Wait. it just came out. He yeah. made a Peter Pan movie? Yeah, he just yeah, made yeah. a Peter Pan movie for Disney+. Plus. It just came out? Ju- like mm-hmm. a month ago. I didn't even know about this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't even, I was not even aware Disney of this. Jude um, plays Captain Hook. <laughs> the, the, fucking, the fucking tethered of this podcast, Jude, Jude Law. Law. Jude we Law should, or Cole, we should or Cole actually, there, there is a case for us doing Jude Law next, Connor. There's a case. Like, for I don't yeah. want to do it, but it's it's the obvious like tulpa. I was going on I was here. actually planning on talking with you about this before we started recording. Um, before we <laughs> ran into the huge mess of like not actually being capable of recording. Um, about what I because for the viewer for the listeners out there, we took a two week break because Cole got violently sick. And we just didn't feel like it was a good idea to <laughs> jump right back into another recording. Which I um, am. I am glad we did that because it gave me the option to do what Connor always does and watch the movie twice. Even if I think I'm going to be more negative on this movie than I would if I had just watched it the one time. And I I, I do want to stress, I like this movie a lot. I'm just coming off watching a cut that I think is really bad. So I'm probably going to sound more negative on this thing. So I apologize listeners for being the bad guy. I do like this movie a hell of a lot. 
Uh, I don't like the theatrical cut nearly as much either. The theatrical, it's a disaster. Yeah. It's a total disaster. I don't it understand was. how anyone liked it. I just um, don't. Anyway. I don't think it's a disaster. I just think oh. it it misses the like, like it's one of those things where. Uh, so I think part of the reason why Malik, why his recent films have multiple cuts, um, is because he's attempting to do something that's so intentionally asymptomatic of like popular storytelling and because of that it makes editing tenfold more complicated if not more because he's trying to he's trying to do things the way that video artists and like installation artists kind of approach their work I, i people say that about him and i think there's some of it in the tree of life i i think that's giving him a little too much credit well, it's it's like a montage. It's it's yeah. a it's an issue of montage. And I think the problem between these two cuts is is literally the cut, like the cuts in between shots in the theatrical yes. cut do not have is the same it? affect as the cuts between shots in the extended cut. And, and, and it's like just shorter shots. Yes. Like, yeah. It seems like they're like you gotta cut fifteen minutes and they're yeah. like we have all these we have all these 30 second shots let's let's cut yes. 10 seconds off of each it's hard it's to more... it's hard to point out specific examples because yes it's a 3 hour long film that is well, yeah. more that is more that is more inherently ephemeral than like the traditional epic historical epic that you're used to watching something that alexander is striving to be even if it doesn't achieve it but there there's a clear difference between the two versions of the film as to how like there's a patience to the storytelling in the extended cut and there's an intentionality to to the duration of the shots and the way the shots are interwoven together that doesn't exist in the theatrical cut probably because it was rushed out the door um to hit like a specific window of a specific release window cole do you want to go over the synopsis i just is it is it that he's trying to tap into this sort of video art installation energy, or is he trying to do what fucking what Harmony Corinne does so brilliantly in Gummo? Like that's mm. my question. Because that's I... not really an installation art thing, even though Corinne is an installation art guy. Is it is it not that like collage logic of a space? You know? I get what you're saying. I think. I think Harmony Corinne's aesthetic develops much more from from music video. Yeah. Uh the the just like the idea of the music video and how the music video like came to dominate the popular culture landscape uh in, in the eighties and nineties and even turn of the century. I think Malik is much more interested in in um you know Brechtian techniques and what Renee was up to. And I think even the Soviets, like I, when I watch his films, I see that kind of he's not necessarily attempting to do intellectual montage. He's he's trying to it's create not, an effectual montage. Yeah, it's not an intellectual yeah. montage. It's it's interesting because so I, I think this is my big bugaboo with Malik. And then I'll get into the plot synopsis. But there are so many filmmakers who like orbit Malik. Not not so much in literally like collaborations, but just in like aesthetics, like almost six degrees of separation. Like when yeah. I think 
people who come to mind when I think of Terrence Malick and it's not like in totality it's like aspects of Terrence Malick Terrence Malick evokes Harmony Corinne for me Terrence Malick evokes Sofia Coppola for me Terrence Malick evokes Jane Campion for me right like there's interesting there's so many filmmakers I love like capital L love I said Antonioni earlier right like he does invoke Mm. antonioni for me in so many ways so many filmmakers like capital l love that like circle malik in a way that are like a word cloud association to malik in a way and yet malik always feels wanting to me even the stuff that i really like like this I'm left being like, God, half this movie doesn't work. And I even think that about the extended cut where I'm like, half this movie doesn't work. You're going to be so mad, Connor, and I'm sorry, but <laughs> I'm stealing your bit this week. Uh, we're going to be doing Cole's Rider Workshop on this movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah. Um, Are we doing oh. the Colorado Wall of Fame? <laughs> no. Is there someone from Colorado in this I movie? don't know. I was just throwing that out there. The only two notable people from Colorado. Well, you're going to say somebody that I associate with. Who do you associate with? Brackage. Yes. I think of Brackage. Brackage is another one. And I think of of Brackage and I think of Dovchenko and I think of Tarkovsky and I think of Kubrick. You're well. I don't. I, fuck Kubrick. Kubrick sucks. Kubrick can't direct worth <laughs> shit. Um, and I yes, think, and, so, I, and like I said, I think of Renee, and I think of Godard. Yeah, you're so right about Brackage. Um, another filmmaker I adore. Like all these people who exist on the margins, and maybe it's because Malik is trying to find this. Like he he has found his own lane. That mm-hmm. that it's just like it 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 just doesn't click. For me, and that's what I want to say, Andrew, kind of in response to what you said, for all that I like to like play the heel, I actually don't begrudge people liking these movies. Yeah. Um, I wish people were to this day less annoying about the Tree of Life. Uh, <laughs> because what the fuck did the artist ever do to you guys? Like the artist, you two are too young to remember this. No, I was you, I was in it. I was in it when, this time. When the artist yeah. opened at the Khan Film Festival. It was being talked about as this, like, avant-garde, borderline experimental, like, triumph. Yes. <laughs> the artist's reputation as, like, a light trifle does not lock into place until people realize it's going to be the Tree of Life for Best Picture. When the artist is losing the palm door to the Tree of Life, people are talking about it in a much way I think it much more deserves to be talked about, which is this really formerly adventurous film uh, that rules and is better than The Tree of Life. I'm sorry. Um, I love the artist. Oh, one last thing I want to say about this movie, because I just think this is interesting. We've we've talked a lot, Connor, on this show about how like this era of movies we're talking about, I, mm. I am old enough to remember when all these movies came out, even if I did not see them. Um I'm still not there. Yeah. I do not remember the release of this film. Like so I said, I, I, I had a teacher show us it. In I remember school. it. Yeah. I just remember this movie coming out in the same way I remember Alexander coming out, which is that, oh, it's this big historical epic with Colin Farrell that kind of flopped. I I knew about Days of Heaven at this point, but I don't think I knew the whole Malik-like mythos. Yet that doesn't snap into like my consciousness until the tree of life comes out this like sense of him is like this great recluse where we like we never know when the next movie is going to be coming 
But here's the thing about that. Because I only really like skirted this movie as like, oh, it came out, it flopped, whatever. I don't have to see it. I'm 13. I'm not seeing it. Um, I actually did not know this was a Pocahontas movie until The Tree of Life came out. Absolutely. I'm not shitting you. I thought this was just some like historical epic. Like what era did you think it was? I, I know it was like, oh yeah, I knew. Like I didn't know. It was like, like Columbus, was, like Christopher Columbus. I something. thought it was like maybe Columbus. I knew it was about yeah. colonialism, right? Like I knew the vague era. Like, but I'm saying like, listeners, if you've never seen the Tree of Life, uh, the New World, this is the Pocahontas story. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. this is not like a take on the Pocahontas story. This yeah. is the Pocahontas story. Almost played more fantastical than the Disney version is, to be perfectly honest. I think um, that's, I don't, well, <laughs> maybe not quite, but yeah, this is more than the Disney that's, version. That's the other thing, though. No, this is the point yeah. I make. You're right. No, that was exactly. This is not a like revisionist or historically accurate take on the Pocahontas story. Very much not so. This no. is the romantic myth of the Pocahontas story. Mm-hmm. Right. And I did not realize that that's what this movie was until years after this movie came out, which again, I, I think is more in line with Malik because yes. it's Malik's take on the myth of Americana. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I think that speaks to how much this movie kind of fucking died on the vine when it came out. I, that, I mean, I knew I knew about it. Yeah. Well, so like me and my friends at the time, I was t- t- nine or ten mm-hmm. and we were like obsessed with uh uh, age of mythology and, and age of empire, <laughs> the colonial games, you know, fucking age of and, mythology, baby, let's go. And then, and then anything with like swords. Sure. So like Troy, we, we I know you haven't seen Troy Cole. Uh, we, we were obsessed with Troy and the Odyssey, <laughs> the Odyssey that you referenced the other episode. Oh, the uh, Andre, the Andre Asante. Yeah, that yeah, thing fucking I whips. Ran I ran into him in New York too. Oh um, shit. Yeah, uh, so we were like obsessed with all that, and we heard there's a rated R Pocahontas remake coming out, and we were like, "Oh my god!" Like, yeah, like, let's, <laughs> let's watch this when it got got into Blockbuster or whatever, and we we put it on and made it like 30 minutes into the movie, and we're like, "This is the fucking worst thing ever." Yeah. It's so bad. I don't think it's this is necessarily so... something you could turn on as a 10 year old boy. It's not. It's not for 10 year olds. No. I, I I wish I was older, and I wish I had a sense of this. It baffles me that the tree of the, sorry not sorry the these fucking titles are blurring in my brain because they're also like iconic in that yeah. like classical sense it baffles me that the thin red line was such a sensation and the new world people were like too slow not interested <laughs> which is which is like if you read yeah. if you read the reviews even the positive reviews of this movie there's this very much sense of like People like the defenders are coming out the gate being like, we know you think it's too slow. Stick with it. And I'm like, but the thin red line is fine. Cause I think this movie is so much faster paced than that thing. I find that thing kind of interminable. And that thing opened against fucking saving private Ryan. Right. So like, yeah, <laughs> uh, I can't stand the thin red line. I'm sorry. It's a dumb movie for babies. Well, I think uh, I think it's like you're saying like this movie this movie is the Pocahontas story, which yes. allows it which allows it to have like a very strict through line of traditional narrative form of like main characters and the character arcs that they they see and how they interweave and and interact with each other and how they grow over time from beginning to end, and, which is not something that like the thin red line even attempts to do like yeah. the thin red line I... 
the thin red line is 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 an intellectual statement like built on the back of stereotypical characterization and do we do we think and i don't i don't mean this as an insult i actually think this is kind of smart do we think part of the reason he took the script out of mothballs is that be, the, the, he knew that because of the disney movie people were going to be walking into this with an understanding of the narrative spine already baked into them Mm, no because the disney movie is not the same story that this is because john rolf is not in yeah no john rolf is not in the disney movie no but still like but but you know what when rolf shows up better right that's like a a twist on the disney but i also think i think the pocahontas story that's that's replicated in the disney movie i think even though there was not a I mean, there have been films about Pocahontas in, yes. in the past. The Disney movie is not the first one, but I think that is a story that had been understood in that form for generations. Sure. Up the point that but it was fresh because of picture books and, and children's books and, and stuff. It like was that. freshly or as freshly as Malik can ever work, like in the public consciousness. Yeah. Because there was this big Oscar-winning children's movie. And I don't think it's an accident that the movie gets notably plottier and notably more concerned with explaining the plot uh, when John Rolfe shows up. Uh, and, and, the, and the film breaks so cleanly from the events of the Disney movie. Uh, and I don't think that's a bad thing, by the way. Like, I just, I watched this I movie think it gets and I plottier because sense. it inherently gets more Maybe. complicated because it's about a love triangle and because it's about the issues of assimilation yeah. and... I watched know. this movie and I get the sense that Malik knows we know the story and that he does not have to be that concerned with relaying the story. And I, I find agree that with you. I just don't know if that's because strengths. of the Disney film. Maybe. I was thinking yeah. about, do we think the Cassio Christian Bale is a nod to the Disney movie, or do we think Malik is even aware of that? Because my guess is that he's not. Yeah, I, it's funny. Christian like Bale has man. these like dual films throughout the course of his career. Yeah, like he's in two Prisoner of War films, like yeah. twenty years apart from each other. Yeah, um, there are other examples that I could throw out, but it's but he's let's in two Batman movies that he wants to be in. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it is funny that he's in this. Andrew, I'm sorry I cut you off. Um, what uh, were you going to say? Oh, I, uh, Christian, like, from what I know about, I mean, most of what I know about Malik is from this movie, but like the way yeah. Malik works is very Christian Bale friendly. Like yes. he yeah, builds yeah. the whole yes. space and lets yes. them do what they want. And so Christian Bale is a good match for Malik. It's so um, interesting that like Christian Bale has almost let his career go down the tubes because the only people who are willing to work in that method are like awful filmmakers. And so he's know, just man. making dog shit movies with Adam McKay and David O. Russell <laughs> because they're the people who meet him at his level. Oh, man. He needs to work with Nolan again. I'm sorry. Yeah. Just Nolan's fucking just so the interested in and like i feel like when he stopped working with nolan it was because nolan was like i want to work with with leo and i want to work with matthew mcconaughey yeah. and he, he started reaching out outside the box well um, i've i've told you connor i've said this to you and you like everyone else i say this to you like rejects it on hold i don't think christian bale has given a good performance since the dark night yeah at all in I, anything you know, it's, I I still hold by that I think he gives 
I, I don't think Out of the Fur- Furnace is a great film, I've but I never think he gives like, a furnace. pretty unbelievable performance in that film. Mm-hmm. And I like his performance in The Big Short. Oh, oh, oh. I also like his. I also, also, also. Uh, I, I don't know why we ha- I don't know why I never brought this up in other times when you've brought this up, but I also like his performance in Ford versus Ferrari. That's insane. Oh my god. No, I like He's I like him in that film. Awful. <laughs> That's I mean that movie sucks I disagree. Ass because James Mangold can't direct. Um but <laughs> He's pretty good in hostels too, no? I, I haven't seen any of Scott Cooper's movies. Like I can't remember hostels. I remember liking the. I I remember being moved by the ending of hostels, like quite a bit. Yeah. But I, I can't really remember it that much. Nor did I rewatch it. For yeah, the, I haven't rewatched it either. Podcast. I did. I did like it. I, he's I such. It. He's in a he's better western, a, which Cole is a James Mangold film, which mm. also sucks. And I, I like movie. that one. No, I yeah. like that one. I like Three Tenths of You Know What. He's just. He's such. He was such an interesting actor. Right. Sorry. He hasn't given up a good performance since 2009. I should clarify. He was just such an interesting actor. And then I think working with Todd Haynes almost broke him because he's like, I've always thought he's calamitously bad and I'm not there. Um, I think that is such like a fake showboaty, like empty performance. And it feels like come 2010, he's locked into this like almost pantomime mode. Where where everything has to be like twenty percent too big, and and there's nothing's internal. Everything has to be like acted out, and it just seems so dishonest. And watching this mo- this performance in this movie, I was just like reminded of just the promise he had as an actor. This is the same fucking year he plays Batman, guys. Like yeah, like he's excellent in this. You and he- you. You he gained like a watch... hundred pounds in like three months yeah. to be back. He gained too much insane. weight. Yeah. He gained too much weight. Yeah, that's a great story. <laughs> they had to push back filming because <laughs> um, he wouldn't fit the best. But just, I just, I can't see how you can watch this and then watch Ford versus Ferrari and tell me we haven't lost something. Right? I don't. I don't He's say this regressed. often. I don't say this often anymore. But at the time when I was initially getting very interested in film. And I was watching, uh, you know, part of this, but also Rescue Dawn and Three Ten to Yuma, which which yeah. I'll repeat, I do like, and <laughs> The Prestige and uh, Public Enemies. Um, I I think for a while he was my favorite actor, and probably because of how struck I was yes. by his take on Bruce Wayne and just yes. with those Nolan films in general. Um, but like you said, like it's really taken a downward turn over the last few years, mostly because of David O. Russell. Um, Because he's just giving like months and months of his time to David O. Russell for films that just don't deserve to have him in them. Do Um, we just want to do it now and then do the plot synopsis? I wouldn't mind doing that, but I just want to say I've, because he was my favorite actor for such a long period of my life. And especially like the more formative period of my life when I had just like all this free time and Mm -hmm. I would watch interviews on YouTube, but just like everything that was available. I've, I've watched a lot of him speaking and especially stuff like the DP 30 reviews, which are pretty long in which the people like actually do open up somewhat. I get the, I kind of get the vibe from him that he does not enjoy acting. 
and that he's been kind of thrust into this profession I, and thrust into this life. I and, understand. Yeah, I know what yeah. you mean. I get that for some things, certainly. The way he talks about it is more like he doesn't really enjoy the work, but he also doesn't he doesn't find the bare minimum requirements of acting to be that challenging, which is like part of the reason why he forces himself to do these like insane body transformations and to go through these pretty incredible like method acting practices where he stays in character and and puts on different accents. I think part of it is because he's attempting to make it more challenging for himself because he doesn't feel worthy of making the salary that he's making from being in these blockbuster films. Um, And it seems like he's just been kind of just, I mean, he was a child actor, like pushed into this profession and this is the way that he provides for the people in his life. It's, Um, it's also interesting that like shit seems to go wrong wrong for him he still wins an oscar and like gets most of his like critical gets nominated after again this. as well yeah. yeah but like after michael fassbender shows up on the scene and like the the arc of michael fassbender from 2009 on feels like what i thought christian bale was gonna do like actually interesting well, choices mean... weird projects like these like powerhouse performances and Bale just like descends into the showboatiness. Well, it's like even Fassbender is, hasn't made a film in what, like five years. Well, Fassbender. Yeah. Okay. Fassbender's coming back strong this year. I know he is, but he, I the, think even, I think even in terms of his career, he hasn't necessarily lived up to the promise of what we thought we were going to see back in like the, 2009, the, the, 2008. The man, the man was in Steve Jobs and Frank. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, no, the thing, the thing with Fassbender is that he and Alicia Vikander make that movie together. They get married. They both. I know. Yeah. But they both go on hiatus to have a kid. Then he comes out of hiatus and makes another movie and then goes back into hiatus to like help saving a father. Right. It's not his fault that the movie he came out of semi-retirement to make never got released. Okay. Well, can I just tell it? Can I just read to you his last five films, which again, yeah. like the last one came out in 2019. It's Assassin's Creed song to song, alien covenant, the snowman and X-Men dark Phoenix. Okay. Next We're not goal. necessarily talking about a career that Christian Bale no, no. wants over the course of those years. Next goal wins was supposed to come out in 2020. It's not his fault that next goal wins got pushed. Okay. That's still a streak of five films in a row, man, <laughs> over, over a three year period. Uh, some of those movies are very good. Okay. Read those movies to me again. Assassin's Creed. His passion project. He's insane. <laughs> song like, to song. Let him live. The Which worst you've movie already ever said. Made. The worst Alien movie ever Covenant. Made. If you start saying oh. Alien Covenant's a masterpiece, I'm going <laughs> to... The second I... best Ridley Scott movie. Shut the fuck up. And, okay, but not... <laughs> leave that. the call now. <laughs> not only is Alien Covenant awesome, like, you know what the best stuff... What is his second best to Alien? Is yeah. that what you're about to yes, tell me? Yes, okay. yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. no, okay. It's better not... than Gladiator. You're... It's better than... <laughs> yes, Gladiator sucks. Um, <laughs> you're... You're going to sit there, Connor, and lie to me and tell me that Alien Covenant, a movie where Michael Fassbender plays 
gay robot twin brothers <laughs> who want to fuck each other, but because they cannot fuck each other, must kill each other. You're telling me that's bad for Michael Fassbender and not <laughs> like something any actor would kill to play? The fucking David Walter shit in that movie is like transcendent. It's like Prometheus sure. is a piece of shit, and like sure, Scott cool. came back and figured it out. And it doesn't matter; he still this, made like, the snowman the same year yeah, that Alien Covenant came out. Not his <laughs> fault that they forgot to finish the snowman. <laughs> his <laughs> character's know? name is Harry Hole. I know the movie was never the movie was never going to be good. It was never going to be good. Have you guys seen the Assassin's Creed movie? No, uh, I haven't. Have you guys played Assassin's Creed? Yes, the games. I have. Yeah. Okay. You guys can agree because you're not dumb that like the Assassin's Creed games are good. It's a shame there's all this annoying sci-fi bullshit that you have to like suffer through Absolutely. to get to what's yeah. good about those games, which is being a ninja in European cities. Yes, and, I, and that's okay. why I didn't watch the movie. And you know that that movie is Michael Fassbender's like baby, right? Like that he loves those games and he wanted to do that and he developed that project. That movie is all the dumb sci-fi shit. Like that's what Michael Fassbender likes about those games. It's the fucking like we're in a future prison shit. It's bananas. Yeah, I love Michael. Yeah, Fassbender. you're making. I thought you were trying to make a good case for it, but you're just w- making it less likely for me to okay, ever watch okay, the movie. Okay, my 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 case for Michael Fassbender is that he was in Frank. Okay, have you seen Frank? You're you're saying that he market corrected Christian yeah. Bale. I just I I'm not they I I can see some of the similarities between them, but they're just such different okay. figures okay. in my mind, and the way sure. they're used on screen is just is sure. is so disparate from each other that. I'm just saying I can't co sign that take. I'm just saying that, like, why is Christian Bale not getting a performance as good as Fassbender and Steve Jobs? You know, like, no, I agree with which you. is almost a yeah. very Bailey performance because it's so showy. You I know, you. yeah, it's I just, wish he would, I wish he was given the opportunity yeah. to do more stuff like he was doing at the time when he made this film. Yeah, I don't know if he's not taking the opportunity. I think he's I don't not know if the opportunity is not presented to him. Dude, it's if you're going to be in a movie like Amsterdam, like, I'm going to hold that against you, <laughs> is my point. I know you guys didn't see Amsterdam. Before. I did. No, I saw Amsterdam. Uh, my girl Taylor. The, the 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 crime that they committed against my girl Taylor. Did she bring out Ice Spice when you saw her? Was that yeah, that show? Did. That was that they show. Premiered, they premiered. God, it was... I seemed so bored in the videos I saw. She She did. Well, the Ice Spice thing wasn't like... I don't care about Ice Spice, but she did Getaway Car and she did Maroon as the secret songs, which was like uh, Getaway Car is so good. Maroon is the best one on Midnight. Oh, sure. Getaway Car is just insane because it's the and Jack only... Antonoff did it with her because he's from okay. New Jersey. Yes, yeah. he is. Yeah, okay. hold, hold that. Insane. Getaway Car is just an insane song because it's like the one time in Taylor Swift's career that she's written a good bridge. But it's also like the best bridge anyone's ever written. You know what <laughs> I'm about saying? about Tom Hiddleston, right? Isn't that one about that Tom That was Hiddleston? never real. Okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to censor this out because I'm no longer afraid of living my truth. Getaway Car is obviously about Carly Kloss. Like, all the songs in the back half of Reputation are so obviously about Carly Kloss that I don't understand what we're doing here, guys. I, 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 that. 
that's probably i don't know enough to be honest this all this <laughs> about all i know this, the rumors yeah i i my take my rumors. take is that yeah yeah <laughs> my take is that maroon is about carly claus and nobody seems to agree with me oh no like, maroon nobody is on about earth carly seems to agree. oh yeah. no, no 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 maroon is about carly claus and people have been digging into that um rumors she was dating calvin harris the gay dating calvin harris the gayest man alive um <laughs> All this, this, this Maddie Healy business that's going on with Taylor, uh, is just reminding me that there's such a sharp divide between me and everyone else because I forget that I'm like the only person who thinks Taylor Swift is interesting because she's evil, uh, (laughs) (laughs) more so than because she's a good songwriter that I like her because she's clearly a super villain. And so I think it's funny that she's dating Maddie Healy. And everyone else is pissing themselves. She's so bad in Amsterdam, dude. It sucks. She's, you know, it's a Who crime committed against her. Who should Taylor Swift work with? And then we're going to talk about the new world. Who should she work with? Uh, <laughs> Andrew was like, how, before we recorded, Andrew I think if like, Christopher Nolan could use Harry you guys. <laughs> I think if Christopher Nolan could use Harry Styles well, he could probably yes. use Taylor Swift well. Yes. Nolan would be very interesting. He'd do something very like, I don't know, arch with her. I'd be down for a Soderbergh take on Taylor Swift. That's yeah, there we go. There we go. Sodi, Sodi, get it, get at it. You got you got uh, a pick, Andrew? No, I I have no knowledge of Taylor Swift. I've never seen her in anything. Okay. I you know, she's a giver. You know what would be interesting? No. <laughs> Sophia Coppola. Sophia yeah. Coppola Taylor Swift would be interesting. Yeah. I, but you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna swerve. I actually would rather see her work with Francis. They're both insane. Yeah, Yeah, probably. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go grab some water so I can do the plot synopsis for this very dense movie. Uh, We're getting bad about going an hour into the episode and not (laughs) saying what it's. Well, you already said it was the Pocahontas story, so if you don't know the Pocahontas story, that is the synopsis. Yeah. Yeah, Well, I'm gonna run. Actually, there. I'll be right. Andrew, are you Swifty? No. Any Swifty? Yeah, that's probably that's what I thought. No, I'm not. I, uh, <laughs> I uh, no, literally the names other than like Calvin Harris and Tom Hiddleston. I'm like, who are these people? Let I'm, me ask you a question. Album. Yeah. Do you have uh, like other favorite historical epics? Other favorite? Hi- well, like yeah. they don't have to now. be. They don't have to be in relation to this film, but just like yeah. what comes to mind when you think of a historical. Epic? Um, well, so like I Westerns are my fucking shit. I yeah. love Western, so literally like any of that. Um, I love Apocalypse Now, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, if you want to call that a historical epic. I think it is. I it's I, uh, the Civil War. I mean, yeah, actually, like all yeah. the, there's a the uh, I can't even remember what there's two names for it. The Fistful of Dynamite is dope. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what the other name is right now. Duck you sucker. Duck you sucker. Yeah. Duck <laughs> you sucker. Um. Uh, Once upon a time in the West is also like I love Leone. The Searchers is uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre. That type of stuff. Um, My question, Cole, is what are his favorite historical epics? If you yeah, and I said I guess they're mostly westerns. Sure, technically speaking. When I was younger, I loved like sword and sandals stuff. Now I feel like I don't like it quite as much because there's that weird gap with the like accents. And stuff like Troy is kind of odd for yeah. that. Well, Troy's um, also like, you know, fiction. I actually, yeah, yeah. well, yes. But um, I, I was actually thinking about it a lot because of the Alexander 
episode that Cole and I did. I was so excited to see Alexander. And I think so excited. I think <laughs> part of the problem with the sword and sandal films is that that millennia of history of like the millennia of historical context has like oversimplified all these things that have happened thousands and thousands of years ago. Yeah. So when you're comparing a historical epic of that time period to a historical epic that takes place, like you said, like during Vietnam or mm-hmm. during the post-Civil War American West or even during the American West or even during this, like the yeah the the initial, the first contact between certain Native American tribes and, and white Europeans, it like all of that sociopolitical entry gets like sapped out of it mm-hmm. because those peoples like despite more most certainly probably looking very similar to the way humans look today um minus like you know minor differences and living in the same location still seem like ancient greeks seem like a different species than mm-hmm. modern greeks mm-hmm. you know what i mean yeah it creates a distance that like oversimplifies the drama the like inherent drama of of what was at play can i throw out what i think is my, my favorite historical epic and, yeah. and a, a movie, I think, works because of the way it, it doesn't really fall into that pitfall. In fact, and you might quibble with me calling this a historical epic because it very pointedly, like, ends in when the movie was filmed, right? Like, it, it but, but, but it is mostly concerned with the past, but it, it carries the, the past forward to the then present in a way that I think is about creating like a bridge to these past eras, even if it understands this past, it's the life and death of Colonel Blimp. Oh yeah. Right. Which have you seen that movie, Andrew? I have not. No, it's, it's, it's a literal world war two propaganda movie, but it's mostly concerned with the Boer war and world war one. Okay. Like it, it, it bridges up to world war two, but it, it, it is, it is pitched to be a film about the past, but it's so, concerned with this sense of like well how does recent history both feel ancient and speak to the contemporary state of england um Mm -hmm. in a way that i don't know feels so inviting and distancing in the way and it's also just it's a fucking pamela pressburger movie it's that what what do you want from me right i i kind of agree with you in that sense that like you know i was saying not too long ago that i think the Godfather part two is one of the greatest films ever made. And I think part of it is because even though it takes place 20 years before the film was made and 20 years and 50 years before the film was made, Mm -hmm. um, it is inherently a historical epic about the American dream and about this idea of this made up nation filled with immigrants and, and the struggle, like the capitalist drive to accrue power and to accrue standing. I think that plays better in the past than it does yeah. in the contemporary moment. I'm actually I like Godfather say, 2 more. Yeah. Than the, I, than the- Connor, I didn't say this when we got into the Godfather argument, um, but I think part of the reason why I like Godfather 1 more than Godfather 2 is that everything you just said about Godfather 2, I actually think is more applicable to speaking of andrew uh once upon a time in america um which i think is a more interesting version of that immigrant (laughs) epic um and a movie i adore i would like crawl through broken glass to see again this one 
I also think it's pretty good. This is the new world. We have not been talking about the new <laughs> world much. And that's okay, because this is a dumb podcast that goes on tangents. Um, so the new world, as we have said, is a 2005 uh, Terrence Malick film. Uh, came out Christmas 2005 in New York and L.A. before rolling out in late January in the rest of the country. Uh, it stars... Excuse me. Colin Farrell, Coriana Kilcher, Christopher Plummer, Christian Bale, August Schellenberg, Wes Studi, David Thewlis, Jorik Van Wagenen, and uh, Ben Mendelsohn, Raul Trio, uh, Brian F. O'Byrne, Irene Bedard, John Savage, and a whole host of other people, including a blink and you'll miss him, Noah Taylor. Uh, Noah <laughs> Taylor is the king of just showing up in a movie sometimes. Um, love Noah. Can I throw something? Can I throw something out there? I feel like Christian Bale is like the more generically attractive Ben Mendelsohn, and Ben Mendelsohn is the more generically attractive Noah Taylor. Like they all fall (laughs) on the same tree, just branches apart from each other. My my only, I I understand what you're saying there, but I'm also going to say that Ben Mendelsohn is the hottest of the three, Uh, because Ben Mendelsohn has this fucking animal magnetism to him. I think Ben Ben Mendelsohn is insanely hot it's not that another he's thing about looking it's that he's fucking do you guys know and i know the answer to this question is no because no one but me saw this movie but are you aware that when ben mendelson and um uh his wife got divorced his wife wrote and directed a movie about their divorce cast ben mendelson as functionally himself and then made the entire movie be about how every time a woman encounters Ben Mendelsohn, she immediately wants to fuck him. Uh, and yes, that was her you response said this on to, this podcast. Before. I know, but that was her <laughs> response to divorcing Ben Mendelsohn. <laughs> He's yeah. definitely packing. It's well, what I was going to say was <laughs> an aspect of what I liked a lot about Christian Bale back at, at in yeah. this era of his career was that he tapped into this very like intense masculinity without seeming interested in sexuality in any way whatsoever which is like something that to nine-year-old through 16-year-old connor like really connected with me for for whatever reason (laughs) i want to put i want to put a pin in that literal thing you just said and i want to come right back to it but let me get through this plot synopsis let's go for it Um, so uh, it is 1607, uh, and a ship of colonists from England have come to modern-day Massachusetts to form the colony of Jamestown. Among Virginia. them, Virginia, sorry. Um, among them is uh, Captain John Smith, played by Colin Farrell, who arrives in chains, is quickly freed, and finds himself very beguiled by both the land and the indigenous people who live in the land. Um, eventually John Smith is sent on an expedition to find the local indigenous village so he can trade with them. Upon arrival, he is captured uh, and sentenced to death, but in the moment of execution is spared by the chief's daughter, Pocahontas. Uh, You all know where this goes. John Smith spends a season living with the Pohawatan and somewhat goes native and falls in love with Pocahontas, but is forced to return to Jamestown in in the winter 
Uh, come the winter, he finds Jamestown starving. He becomes the governor. Uh, the colonists are not going to make it until Pocahontas leads an expedition to them with supplies to let them go through the winter. This action on Pocahontas's part uh, increases tensions between the Powhatan and the colonists, and war breaks out between them. Um, with raids constantly being attacked on Jamestown and many dead on both sides. Eventually, uh, Pocahontas is exiled for her part in assisting the colonists, and she is rescued and brought in and lives amongst the colonists. Uh, Around this time, John Smith, although still in love with her, is convinced to return to England to prepare for another voyage to try to make it, I believe it's to India, right? That's what they want him to try to try to do they want to actually fulfill the loop to india they want him to they want him to discover a northwest passage if yes exists. so they send um, him up to like newfoundland to see yes, if he can get which, which he which is historically yeah. what he ends up doing um pocahontas is devastated by this news but eventually recovers she is told that smith is killed in the voyage um, and she marries john rolf played by christian bale a tobacco planter and maybe the single most important englishman who ever lived um <laughs> We can get into it. Uh, She falls for Rolf. Uh, She is baptized into Christianity and takes the name Rebecca. They marry. She returns. He returns to England to her where she becomes a bit of a cause celeb. In England, she discovers that John Smith did not die, but merely did not want her to wait for him. Uh, They have a brief. She discovers that before they go to England. Yes. 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 They have a brief reunion in which it is immediately clear that whatever love they shared uh, is now gone, and she commits to, to her new love and her husband and the father of her children. Unfortunately, she shortly thereafter dies. And that is the story of the New World. Did you guys know that about John Rolfe, by the way? Yes. Uh, that yeah. he was a tobacco? But he's it's not just that, this movie doesn't really say it. It's not just that he's a tobacco exporter. He's the guy who cultivated the strain of tobacco that they shipped to Europe. He invented the international tobacco trade. Oh, damn. There, I didn't know that he cultivated it. He cultivated it. Yeah. There are no long-term colonies in the Americas if he does not do that, because that is the crop that allows the economy to exist, that That's allows insane. full colonization to happen. He is. I'm not being facetious when I say there's a case for him to be the most important Englishman who ever lived, uh, which I mean, is why I've always yeah. – I when I – when we, when I was like in fucking elementary school or middle school or whatever, and we talked about the settling of the Americas and the Pocahontas story, and teachers were like, the John Smith thing is overblown, which it is, by the way. There is no actual evidence that Pocahontas yeah. and John Smith ever had a relationship. He was like 15 years older than her. No, um, it's another example of just like romanticization. Yeah, of, but like, it's, of- it's, it's not even so much that as it is like a thing he made up. And was taken as fact, but but I just remember. I don't know. Well, from my from my understanding, and yeah. I haven't like researched this. From my understanding, it's people projecting onto his journal entries of yeah. the time that but he spent. Yeah, I. It's not I like it's not he... like explicitly said in the journal entries. It's like it's mostly people. It's like erotic fan fiction. It's like mostly people projecting. Didn't onto he like g- do like speaking tours when he went back to England? And like, kind of like, puffed it up himself. 
Well, he, I think he's known for that. Yeah. For, yeah. for puffing stuff up for sure. Yeah. But I, I, I think... don't think I don't think he went back to England and was like, I had a romantic entanglement with a 12 year old indigenous girl. <laughs> I think he went no, back to England. No, I think he went back and... to England and said, This Indian princess fell in love with me and I taught her our ways. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. yeah like I think he's, but my point is, when I found out in in school that like the real Pocahontas married this like much more important figure, I was always like, why does anyone give a shit about the fabricated John Smith stuff <laughs> when her actual life is so much more interesting? And that's inter- interesting about. I this can movie. tell you why. I can tell you why, and it's because what? it's what it's everyone. It, no, 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 it's it's what every single one of these stories hinges on is the 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 mythology that. Pocahontas's father was going to sentence John Smith to death, yes. and she was the one that stepped in the way and prevented it from happening. It's that is also... the reason. That is the reason why people care about. And John this Smith is a more romantic figure than basically yeah, uh, a businessman, a, a soldier of lowborn yes. status who yeah. like fought his way up the ranks of the military. Yeah, it's also a very European like narrative. Like yes. when we talk about like European mythology and like the heroic European narratives of like the Middle Ages, that's mm-hmm. sort of like the princess swooping in. Like it, it, it totally makes sense. I, I think see- if I remember correctly, there's a direct to video sequel to the Disney Pocahontas, is. which is the John Rolfe with there not is. the story of Pocahontas's death, but the story of John Rolfe taking Pocahontas back to England. But it's John Smith and not it John is. You are. Yeah. Right. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it. It's not good. Um, I just think it's interesting that this movie does put all the John Rolfe stuff in, but in the context of so fully buying in to the story. Not not buying in is the wrong word. Choosing choosing to treat that story as fact. Right? Have you guys yeah. have you guys read Which From story? Hell? The Alan I have read From Hell. That, you've, that, you've, that book kicks ass. Kicks I've never ass. seen the movie, but I've read the book. The movie is awful. Have, I heard the movie have, is like atrocious. It's there's, so bad. There's a there's a bit in the the annotations of From Hell, um, which listeners read From Hell, but also read the like hundred pages you, of notes at the, at the end of From Hell, which is Alan Moore walking you through his research. because uh, it's as important. But there's a bit at the end of From Hell where Alan Moore says something like I don't think this is the truth. This is just the most interesting theory. And that's yeah. the version I wanted to go with. And I think that's the same. I don't think Terrence Malick is buying into the Pocahontas myth. I think he's interested and wants to tell the Pocahontas myth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, but that's I, the reason I, I why I think this that. film is a masterpiece. Yeah. That's the reason why <laughs> I think this movie doesn't work fully. Really? Really? Yeah. Oh, um, I find. Can I tell you? Uh, so... The first time I watched the first time I watched the extended cut, maybe I can't remember which cut it was, but at the end of the film, when she's talking to John Smith and she says, I hope you found your indies. And he says, I may have sailed past them. I just like burst down into tears and I did not stop crying <laughs> until the movie <laughs> ended because it, it goes from that to her going to John Rolfe and being like, you were you were more of the more of a man than I I know I no, no. had taken account of. And yeah, yeah. It's and the- it's them her playing with their child. And then and then it there's a shot when she's on her deathbed of Christian Bale's hand with the wedding ring on, like holding her hand while she's dying. And then there's a close-up shot of Christian Bale's face and eyes as he's crying, as she's passing away. And that just entire, the entire last 30 minutes of the film is like a whirlwind for me. It just 
tears streaming down my face. Everything I, from that John Smith line reading on. Agree. Is... And I think that meeting is devastating, but I think it's devastating despite the fact that I don't think the movie sets it up. So I think it does, though. I have been alluding to having a big problem with this movie. And I'm going to tell you yeah. guys what this problem is. I think Coriana Kelcher is giving a really wonderful performance in this movie. There's no character there. There's no character there, and this movie is not interested in her. In the last 30 minutes, it has to be interested in her. But this movie is not willing to be about her to the degree that I think it needs mm. to be to work. I think uh, it, I think the movie, I mean, I think she's a fetish object. I don't think this is a, I don't think this is a, not unpopular. I don't think this is a marginalized opinion, but the movie clearly switches perspectives multiple times throughout the film. Like yes. the beginning is mostly mm. from John Smith's perspective. Yes. But I think that's what Malik is most interested in is this twinning effect of the new world being the Americas to the Europeans, but also Europe so, to yes. the Native Americans. And I so don't it needs to he, flip flop. The, but I the don't think he change. lands it because I, I think the perspective ultimately exists from it, it, this is ultimately a Eurocentric movie. And I get that that's what he's going for. But I, I, I think the balance is off. The balance. That's is my. Better. That's my biggest. My biggest complaint about this movie is like I don't think this is a perfect film. I don't think. I think for as much as Malik, as you said, is 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 a uh, uncomfortably vapid filmmaker, yes. in the fact that he, I think there are filmmakers who make wonderful films who kind of satiate in the, in in ugliness, in visual ugliness, in 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 the brutal and the grotesque and Malik is the opposite, which is generally frowned upon and considered pretentious for somebody to actively seek out creating uh, uh, inherently beautiful images and beautiful, like in the sense that we're talking about like romanticized paintings and like Baroque, Baroque images and that kind of visual aesthetic, which is something that the modern world has, or like modernist, and postmodernist artistic sensibilities have moved so far past that I think it's it's tempting to criticize Malik for for inherently wanting to go down that route, which is his voice as yeah. a filmmaker. I think what ends up happening with this film is that he luxuriates so much in in the beauty of the images that you have to even though it's an interpersonal story, which is why the film works better than than his other ventures, to, I think, land at the devastating emotional effect that you need to land at, I think you have to, like, take in more of the environment than the characters that you're dealing with. Which, sure. which I agree, which I agree is, like, a complaint that I have about the film. And I would say the bigger complaint that I have is that like you're saying, it is primarily a Eurocentric telling of this story and not an indigenous telling of this story. But, but I don't even, you know, it, it's not even so much that as it is. Look, outside of the the prologue of this movie, mm. because this movie starts with like five minutes or not even five minutes, like three minutes of Pocahontas 
and some of her tribe's people just like swimming, right? Yeah. Outside of that, in either cut, and maybe I'm wrong, is there ever a scene with indigenous characters in which the English aren't also there? Because I don't I think there's a few, think yeah. There's there there's is. West Study telling Pocahontas's father that that they're not going to leave, that they need to Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah, but then yeah. they're talking the about the English. You mean like a Bechdel? But like a yeah, Bechdel, I, I yes. mean this in a Bechdel sure. sense yeah. because because for all that this movie is about this sense of like the new world as this like almost alien frontier to be conquered, yeah. which is interesting, yeah. a, a very interesting idea. Um, there's a scene of Pocahontas playing in wheatgrass with her brother. Sure. Brief, mm-hmm. but there's yeah. so much of this movie is about just the struggle of the English to survive independent of their relations to the Powhatan, right? But the Powhatan- but that, that's, what only... you're, that's what you're drawing on is like, that's a problem of the movie beginning. That's a problem of the movie having this this yes. juxtaposition in its narrative function where it begins with with America being the new world and ends with Europe being the new world that that's like an inherent consequence of that narrative function because it begins sure. with the Europeans landing in Virginia which 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 means that by the time you meet the Powhatan they are overwhelmed by the responsibility or or maybe if not responsibility, the like causality of how they need to act because the Europeans are now there. But we also yeah. aren't ever seeing these scenes from their perspective. Like, why does Pocahontas disappear from the movie in between John Smith returning to Jamestown and Pocahontas swooping in to save them? Because but it's because you see it, it's because you see Jamestown from after John Smith leaves. Then you see Jamestown from Pocahontas's perspective, and then you see yes. England from I, Pocahontas's perspective. I, I, I get that, but my point yeah. is that Pocahontas's decision to bring food to the settlers matters. Yes, but the movie doesn't even think to let her make that decision, right? Because what matters is that she returns. No, we see her having made that decision, right? Like we. When she separates from Smith, we mm-hmm. spend all this time with Smith until Pocahontas returns to him. My question is, I get that there's this perspective flip later, but why is the movie disinterested in that perspective flip earlier? Because I think that's what it needs. I, I, I get the the sort of the sort of diptych idea that it's going for, but but that I think that's too little, too late, almost in a way, vis-a-vis Kilcher and giving Kilcher something that to it, do. I think in that exact example, I think it's it's probably more moving to see the decision having already been made than to see her make the decision because then you're dealt with John Smith having to tell her like, "This is too dangerous. You shouldn't have done this." But but that's that's a question of perspective, you know. Yeah. Can I can I Cole's writer workshop something for you? Yes, go for it. Uh, well, Andrew, do you have any takes on yeah, sorry. what we're talking about? Um, so I mean, I'm I'm like trying to remember if they build up the decision making, but like I feel like it's kind of a trend throughout the whole thing that they don't show you a build up to things. Yeah, like, that's Malik. That's Malik's as a whole. It's not uh, even so much literally that as I wonder why 
I don't see Pocahontas missing John Smith when they've separated. That I see that from his perspective. You maybe hear her, but you see it later in the film. You see it. I know. I I I get. I I get the decision that has been made, but I don't think it works. Right. I'm saying I think there's a. I think it does work because the balance is there. Because well, the balance is so uneven because it's it's because there's one third. It's not happening. But it's it's because Malik is so because it's Malik is so disinterested in cause and effect that the cause and effect. If you see it, because like, no, but Malik Malik's whole Malik's whole method is that if you see it at any point, you can relate it, like you can connect the dots for yourself. So you see her grieve over him later in the film. You start connecting the dots of this is how she must have felt earlier in the film, which caused her to act that way. Like this is the whole Malik thing. This is the whole this is the uh... whole mindset that you have to tap into to like I think appreciate these films to their full ex- fullest extent. Um, Connor, I would like to go sword. back. The uh, stretching. What was that? I asked Connor if his arms were sore because he's stretching. I don't think so. <laughs> I think you know that's what that's what I'm saying. Where he he approaches this it, some sometimes more like an uh, installation artist Con- or a Connor, video artist. Connor has just changed his name in the Zoom chat to uh, Mr. <laughs> Fantastic because uh, oh <laughs> he is stretching. Yes, Andrew. Sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> um, going back to the because, like, I think it's totally fair to say that I, I don't. Did you use the phrase "manic pixie dream girl"? No, or, no, no. <laughs> but you're using but, it now. I'm <laughs> using it. You, I can't remember what you said, but that was what it made me think of. Um, and I've definitely talked to other people and heard that used, which she is. Yes, sure. But I think like she's kind of like a sim like that's kind of like mythical like she's a symbol and i think our archetype smith is exactly the same thing just a different archetype he's like the adventurer who can only stay in one place for so long and they're both not full human beings if you know what i'm saying but i think when you spend so much time with one of them and not the other of them early. Again, I I understand the the diptych idea, but first of all, this movie is not a diptych because it's not the halfway point. If it was the halfway point, that's a completely different conversation, but it's not. And, and, and if that flip's going to happen, then you're still acknowledging that there's there's a two third one. But it's like you're using you're using math to. It's like you're like he's he's like a Jackson Pollock, Terrence Malick. He's not. But he's not. You a, know, there's but, not this outlining doesn't exist with. But Terrence he's not Malick. a Jackson Pollock because then you're saying he's randomly focusing more on John Smith. Um, here's, here's I think he is point. though. I think like when he gets I, into the edit, I think when he gets into the edit, he's just doing what's instinctual, and that that's why instinct- it takes him so long. That's why it takes him so long. Okay. (laughs) What's the most important moment in this movie? Uh, The most important moment in this movie? This is an easy answer. Are are you saying it's when she brings them food? No, I think it's when she saves his life. Yeah, that's probably. Uh, And this is my, my, my hinging of this movie is that scene does not work for me. And the reason that scene does not work for me is that scene is something that is done to John Smith. That is not something that Pocahontas does. Do you understand the distinction there? I do. We never know why she does it because the movie doesn't care to let us understand why she does it 
because to some degree he doesn't understand why she does it. And that's an interesting idea, but that leaves her at a remove for so much of the first half that if I don't buy that, then I'm left a little lost. And I think this is worse than the theatrical cut because the extended cut has the benefit of time. And spending more time with these characters, I am going to be more with them in a way. The theatrical cut being so abbreviated hurts it, but I think it's still an issue in the extended that if I don't understand why she does that, I don't understand why they fall in love. I I um, think, so I think this is my genuine opinion. I don't think yes. I'm stretching to say no, this. I think I'm because of, asshole. I think because, because of the, the mechanisms of the way Malik works, I think it's 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 reverse of of what you're saying i think you come to understand why she made the decisions that she made early as the film is playing out later in its runtime as you see her teach john smith about their culture as you see her play with her child at the end of the film these these micro social interactions that she has as you get to know her more throughout the film's playing i think you come to understand her as a figure of somebody who loathes violence of somebody who wishes to understand of somebody who wishes to grow closer and more communal with her fellow man. I think that's something that you, that you glean from her as you watch the film play out. And that makes the the decisions that she makes earlier on make sense. I think you get some of that early too. Like the, when you first, she sees the ships in the beginning all of them are all the rest are like freaking out. And she's like, I'm curious about this basically. Yeah. And then I could be wrong, but when the, um, when someone, sh- the guy, the, the natural takes the hatchet and shoots I... and gets shot. Yes. Um, and John Smith goes and, and, um, like semi drowns him. Uh, I think Pocahontas sees it. Am I, I wrong? She does. Yeah. I think she sees it. Um, and to me, that was like, the mirror moment, I guess, of uh, when when Rolf first sees her, she's feeding the prisoner water. Yes. Kind of like a flip on it. Um, and to me, that was the kind of like part her, of, interest, her interest in him, I guess. Um, I think it's part of what Malik is trying to get at is the sense that Pocahontas doesn't inherently view these strange men from faraway places as threatening yeah, or violent or warranting of violence against them even though she probably should. And I think he's saying that's probably why, like he presents a lot of reasons as to why white Europeans came to dominate this continent. I think, but that's the one that he's really just throwing out there right at the start is that the harmony that these native American tribes like had with the landscape around them and with their peers, different like neighboring tribes and the way they interact with each other made them less equipped to like deal with the brutalist nature of of capital hungry white people who just want to dominate and terraform whatever they can for capital gain i I will give you your read of pokemon i will concede this point but i'm going to ask you in your heart of hearts are you telling me that is that that is as nuanced and emotionally complex of a character in this movie as john smith that that read you just gave I me. I do Pocahontas. because I think at the end of the film it becomes I what moves me so much is there's another moment near the end. So when they when they're getting on the ship to go to England 
West study who's a holy yes. man and her tribe is there and he has sticks and he's saying I've been told by the the chieftain to make a notch in in these sticks every time I see an Englishman yeah. and they go and meet the they go and meet the king who's played by Jonathan Price which Great. that was that was another flash up <laughs> yeah give me a full give me a full hour of the London stuff guys oh my he's, god he's in there so for like good. 30 seconds and then and then they're in like they're in like a, a highly trimmed botanical garden where the trees look like perfect cones and the hedges are mm-hmm. neatly aligned. Yeah. Parallel 90 degree angles. And West studies talking about how they just never had any knowledge that there were so many Englishmen out there. They were mm-hmm. like blades of grass out ahead yeah. of them. And I, I think like from that moment on seeing this, this, native holy man this indigenous american holy man lost in the in in the materialism of europe of the uh the over cultivatedness of like the landscape of like how people have just come to dominate everything around them and not not live in an ecosystem where they share the space to like truly like dominate and decimate everything that they can and to see this man be both at awe and completely and utterly lost in the location that he finds himself. And then to relate that to Pocahontas as well, who's in the same position. And then to see her juggle these complex relationships that she has with both John Smith and John Rolfe. And, and the the relationship (laughs) with Smith isn't, complicated the relationship with rolf is complicated and interesting but everything that's complicated about the smith relationship is coming from smith right it's not it's not a, it's not a two-way street like the conversation she has with colin at the end of the movie and again i think Koryaka culture is wonderful in this movie i just i i think it's a scripting issue um, and I think she's kind of left it to try, but I think she's doing wonderful things with it. But, you know, when she says, have you found your indies, John, right? Like the, the she fucking, says, like, I hope you found I found you found your yeah. indies, yeah. No, I think she asks him. Whatever. I think she asks him. She asks him oh, if okay. he's found it. The knife yeah. to the gut there is a knife to the gut. It has nothing to do with Pocahontas. What it has to do with is that... We had spent so much time with this tormented, anguished, you know, conflicted, almost a noble man. And then he left like he left her and he returns to her, but to us, the audience, and he's gone, right? That he, something has happened and he's not that man anymore. And she recognizes that because we recognize that he's not the same man that we had spent so much time with but that has nothing to do with pocahontas that has everything to do with how complex smith is in this movie i think she's i think her strength no i no no no. i think her strength and i think her her stature in the relationship with rolf makes her more complex than smith but that's the rolf stuff i i think is almost but it's all intertwined is is what i'm saying like it's the same character At I that don't point think in the it, film, it's a character who's juggling relationships between, if not relationships, filling... she's juggling. She's juggling her affection for both of these men, and, I... and 
and her duty to to both of them and and what she thinks is right and and how she perceives that she should act i watched this movie and i'm like a lot and i was sitting there and i'm consciously thinking the tensions of this rolf relationship presuppose that i the viewer care about the relation the love she has for john smith let me pretend i care about the love she has with john smith so i can meet the rolf plot line on the level it wants me to and when i just like say like let's just pretend that stuff worked i'm like sure i care about that but i am pretending and then it works but it, i think it works independently you don't think smith it stuff. works you don't think the john smith stuff works her relationship the love story smith? Yeah. No. Smith as a character? Yes. The love story, the relationship mm. with Pocahontas, Pocahontas as a character in the first two hours of this movie? No. I, no, I, 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 I understand I it from the onset. I understand it from the moment where I've seen it twice. they're trading words back and forth and he's like, these are my I, eyes and these are my lips. And, you know, we got to talk about I, it at a different point too, too, but this is the movie also. Where it's like, if you don't think I, Colin Farrell is a movie star after watching this movie, I, I don't know. Did I say he was... Uh, can no, I, no, I, I'm just saying I, we'll get into it later. But I think from can that I briefly scene... writer's workshop. Oh, yeah. Movie. And you're going to be mad. And, and <laughs> having, that we've had this conversation, I think you're going to be mad. But I do think I have a pretty easy punch up for this movie that also makes it half hour longer. I will. Can, can I just say beforehand as well that I, this movie is, like I said, it's definitely not a perfect movie. I think I am also approaching this definitely from the mindset of this is 2005 and a lot of this discussion about indigenous perspectives and minority perspectives has been had in the last 10 years and was not necessarily as strong at the time when this film made. So I am giving it some credit in that respect. Well, Um, while I, while I don't mean to, to, to denigrate the cause for like broader storytelling on screen, it my my, my issue is less, I'm going to sound like an asshole, but my issue is less that the indigenous characters are getting silenced as it is a central character in this movie is not getting the, 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 the attention she deserves, if that makes sense. That like, and I think that part and parcel with this like sort of fetishization of the like, you know, pure natives versus the corrupt industrious Englishmen, which is very in line with like Malik's nature fetishism yeah. and utopic ideals. And I think that's part of it is that he valorizes Pocahontas too much to let her be a person with a perspective. But it's not so far, much the though. political stuff as it is the the, the dramaturgical stuff here. All, I guess all in I'm saying is I am so moved by the way that the film ends. I am by, and, so and moved by, ending, by the way the film And by ends. ending, I mean like the last hour of the film. That, the best stuff in the movie. That I that she's the main character. What's moving me is my sympathy with Pocahontas at the end of the film. What's, it's not my sympathy with John Smith. It's not yeah. my sympathy with John Rolfe. Although that, that Christian Bale, had, Christian Bale what? when she's dying, is like one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever seen. Um, what's but my sympathy me? is is primarily with her and what's moving me in that last hour is that this cipher is now finally becoming known but i but, but isn't again, that powerful but isn't that, that powerful? is powerful but it'd be more yeah. but there's but there's more powerful things than that 
because because at the end of the day, she's not the cipher. Smith is the cipher. And that's the genius understanding of this movie is that Smith is a cipher. But Smith is an intentional cipher. Well, I Pocahontas think they both are in under, some... I don't. I, I don't. I do. yeah. In 2014. No, I do. In 2014. <laughs> the mediocre Irish filmmaker made his one masterpiece. The film is called Begin Again was supposed to be called Sakina's Song, Save Your Life, which is a better title. The film is called Begin Again. It stars Mark Ruffalo, Kira Knightley, and Haley Steinfeld. We've talked about it on this podcast. It's a masterpiece. Haley Steinfeld's in To Begin? Yes, she plays Ruffalo's daughter. Oh. Yeah. Have you seen Begin Again, Andrew? I have not, no. Okay, fine. I know it, but... In in, in 2016, uh, Dave... Damien Chazelle made a piece of shit called La La Land that blatantly ripped off Begin Again. And that might be the analogy you're understanding here. But Connor, you've seen Begin Again, right? I have, yeah. Yeah. So the beginning I saw it in of, theaters. I was the beginning the of Begin Again is Mark Ruffalo as this like harried, frantic music executive. And it spends like 15 minutes. Like following this guy as he just goes about his day, you know, is late for everything, barks out deals, you know, his life is so frantic, blah, 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 blah. And then he like at the end of his day, he's an A&R guy. He just stops in a club to like see what local musicians are playing. And he's like struck dumbfounded by the the singer on stage who is Kira Knightley. And then once that moment happens, the titles come up and then the next 20 minutes of the movie are Kira Knightley's day leading up to that meeting. La La Land obviously steals this conceit outright where the opening of that movie is Emma Stone up until she first meets Gosling and then Gosling up until he first meets her. I am just saying this movie is ten, at least 10% better, if not 20% better, if after Pocahontas throws herself on him and saves him from being killed, we then flash back and follow everything that happens to Pocahontas and the Powhatan as they deal with their own version of the new world, which is this invasion building up again to that moment. So we know why she does it because I don't want to know why she does it at the end of the movie. I want to know why she does it. When yeah. That's a better it. movie. That's a better I, movie. I would watch the hell out of that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's also like a longer movie and this movie needs to be longer. I, like I, I actually don't, don't know if that movie's longer because I think, I think you can get to sure. I think you can get to the uh, when they go to war faster. The war stuff um, is kind of the worst part of this movie. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it's perfunctory. Mm-hmm. It's like necessary, but it's the worst part. I think. She's. So I think there's a little. Movie, I think. I think what I, what what I am isolating right now as the issue that you see is Malik is is like supremely interested in this dynamic where John Smith comes back from his time with the natives and then is thrust into becoming the leader of the settlement. And that's just not nearly as interesting to you and I, and probably Andrew, the viewer as staying with the natives or naturals as they're called in the film um, to like uncover like their perspective about this, this, conflict slash contact that's engaging between these two types of people but i think for me Malik for you yeah i think for me it's a two-pronged yeah. thing i think in generally i'm just always going to be a little allergic to malik's nature fetishism 
Um, I just find it a little pat, whatever. This is probably yeah. the most interesting version of it, but yeah. Um, I actually think the 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 theatrical cut by virtue of cutting 40 minutes out of the extended cut just feels so fast paced and herky jerky to me, which I think is that the strength of the problems that this movie's strength comes from the patience of it. And yeah. the theatrical is losing that patience. Um, I agree with you on that. And I mm-hmm. think Partly. the thing that is hurt the most is this idea of Smith having to become everything he hates, which I do think translates in the extended cut. I don't think translates in the theatrical and because the theatrical is fresh in my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew, what do you think about Colin Farrell in general? Not in this movie, <laughs> I, in general. In general, I, I really like him. I don't know... I don't know when I started liking him. I actually, I'm a bit more of a uh, true detective season two apologist. Um, So like, I loved him in that. Um, I'm trying. I also, I love SWAT back in the day. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, It came free with my PS3. And so I used to watch it. Um, Do you like the shot when he flips his baton around while he's running? <laughs> we didn't talk enough about that one shot. We talked about that one shot for like five minutes. We need to talk more about that one shot. Um, and so I mean, like you know, when I was getting into like Tarantino, I saw in Bruges because I was like, you know, like kind of, um, and I liked Tarantino him in that. Jason, yeah. yeah, yeah, like Tarantino, like talky, talky so. stuff, um. And I mean, I've liked him in some of the newer, uh, you know, like A24, A24 adjacent type stuff, um, which I mean, I feel like this movie is kind of an interesting, uh, like in the movie star conversation, kind of an interesting way, like precursor to that, because like you would never call this a Colin Farrell movie. Like I'm not going to no. see it Colin Farrell. And I feel like that's kind of the thing now with him is the movies like he's he's putting himself for the movie if you know what i'm saying yeah Um, and like like in this one like malik needed a movie star who isn't doesn't need to carry the movie on his back necessarily he needs to do what malik wants him to do he's Mm -hmm. incredible in this i think he's really good in this yeah um I, i i thought everyone was really good i wish there was more christopher Plummer. I really, I think he's he's good in it. Uh, Christopher Plummer wishes there was more Christopher yeah, I know. Plummer. Plummer <laughs> is fucking. Plummer has what five minutes in the theatrical, uh, yeah. more in the extended, mm-hmm. but still not very much. And like, fucking even when he's in it, it's like he's speaking, and there's like a voiceover over his dialogue. It's like. He, he fucking just headshots, right? Just fucking headshots. Like you're watching one of those insane Counter-Strike videos where no one's no scope headshotting everyone. He's just fucking killing it for every second he's on screen in this thing. I love Plummer. Connor says we're not allowed to do a Christopher Plummer, uh, Mount Rushmore today. No, uh, I because yeah. we're but, gonna we're gonna see him later. And... But just for the record, yeah. let it show. Fucking love Christopher Plummer in this movie. He's so good. Have and you seen the um, characters I, go too? Like, I think it's a, I think it's a Hollywood Reporter roundtable, maybe that he's in. He's talking about being in this. No, and he's just like, I love Terrence Malick, but God, he needs a writer desperately. And he's like, I told him I will never be in another <laughs> film unless you have a writer working with you. Well, and, I, I mean, I read some of the yeah. screenplay. Yeah, and it is like wildly different. Um, and like you, like. 
I know he likes to like kind of improvise on the set and stuff, but like it's not, it doesn't have that like uh dreamy, like boomeranging between scenes kind of thing going on. Um, and the characters talk way more. Yeah. There are so many like monologues and speeches, and Pocahontas is talking a lot with John Smith from pretty early on. And it gave me that. Sorry. I, I well when I was reading I was like this this doesn't work to me because they're having complex conversations like five minutes into meeting each other yeah, yeah. um and it, it brought up like a plausibility issue for me and the way they did it with the voiceover makes more sense to me even I think though it's, it's like the language is not I don't think period accurate really like no but they, I think it, I think it normal. plays into like he he just makes films differently than other people make mm-hmm. films. Like no, he I gives don't... act he gives actors these like traditional monologues a lot of times. Like he did it with George Clooney in the Thin Red Line, yeah. and he's using it as he's like he's using it just as like a way to like accrue material in order to create this tapestry of like what's going mm-hmm. on around these traditional conversations and traditional monologues that are being. Given it's on not camera. that he makes movies differently; it's that he finishes movies different yeah yeah, yeah. because my, i mean i don't know from this one though i i would assume it was the case my understanding for the thin red line is that that shoot was very conventional right yeah. it was long but it was very conventional it's just that the movie he delivered was like him taking what yeah. he was interested in out of what he shot a straightforward war movie i, I think if i understand this, correctly I think if I understand correctly, so part of the deal with the Thin Red Line is like after Days of Heaven, this 20 year period, yeah. Terrence Malick has built up this huge legendary, legendary mythical status as this art focused, but still mainstream director in the Hollywood sphere. So when he embarks on this project to make a World War II epic, like every actor in Hollywood wants to be a part of this yes. film, especially these men who are like, I want to really like go out there and do real shit in the jungle the way that like my grandfather did it there. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's something that like we'll talk about it next week with Michael Mann, like applies to a lot of actors. Two that weeks, fall into two this. weeks, two weeks. Yeah. I'm scared. <laughs> I don't want to do it. I don't um, do it. <laughs> but I think part like it's been noted that while they were making the film and i guess in the script adrian brody's character is the protagonist yes, of the film famously, and then famously. in the edit he's he's like the sixth or seventh supporting character and like george clooney's character had this like huge segment where he was yeah embattling against his the men that he was he was leading and he's he's really only there as like a piece of scenery in the background of a lot of shots and I think the deal with the Thin Red Line was that this generation of actors hadn't worked with Malik. They had only wanted to work with Malik, and then they were shocked at the I, way the film came out. But I, I it's yeah. diff- but it's still it's still different from Days of Heaven about this. Well, um, Days of Heaven yeah. is like you only have four actors yeah. that the, are headlining the film, and Badlands you thing, only have two actors that yeah. are headlining. So he's but not the, going to do that with them. The other thing, though, on the other end is that, and you can look up the stories of this production because so many people were in these two movies, but yeah. night of cops and song to song are fully made without a script. Like that yeah. is just him. That is his fucking, those are his fucking inland empire, right? He's just showing up to places and he's like, well, I'm not even going to mean, 
I'm the not video even, art thing. Yeah. It's like he, he, he's just attempting to make an art film with his friends about like the yeah. existential crisis that he had felt. It's not life. even that he's attempting to make an art film. He's just showing up to places and just shooting all day. And he's like, yeah. I might figure out how to use some of this later. Uh, Dan Harmon has a very funny story about shooting knife, uh, Knight of Cups. That he told him like some episode of his podcast once because he's in Knight of Cups. Um, yeah. Like in the background, he's at the party. The Hollywood yeah, he's at party, the, right? yeah. yeah. Like apparently that party was just they threw a party, and as they came in, I think Malik just handed them at random like note cards with potential motivations they could like <laughs> play or not. But he was handing it to them just like willy nilly, and he's just like, "I'm just gonna fucking shoot a party, and I'll figure it out." And when he, when he made a hit in life. He one of the things he said when making a hit in life was that he was going back to working with a script, yeah. like on the new world. Like he specifically said, like I did on the new world. So like I I think the difference between this and those later ones is that he's at least shooting it like a more conventionally narrative film, even if that's not the movie he wants to make. And I think that works better for him to have the spine. Um, I feel like it's probably yeah. a happy medium. Yeah, but, I think you know, uh, Happy Medium is a good way to put it. But uh, I mean, I from what I know about the behind the scenes stuff is it, he did also kind of do the we're going to improvise a bit uh, here. And he would like the actors would get annoyed with him for going and running off to film an Osprey for for well, yeah. an hour. Yeah. Um, That's the thing people and like, say about and him. And he's like, That's just the thing that Colin said, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and would just kind of like do all these nature shots and stuff and they'd be like all right we're gonna get some of these in here um and and he would have like christian bale he'd just give him like a prompt to do something and bale would then go do it and make a scene out of it um so not as extreme as as uh what was a night of cups but it has an element of that still can we can we just put a capper on bale before we talk about colin yeah, because uh, we keep we keep butting up against Bale. Um, you said that thing earlier, Connor, about that like the sexlessness, the like masculine sexlessness of a lot of his performances of this era. I, I, I think what's so interesting about the performance he gives in this movie, which I think is wonderful, uh, and I love that he's just like a, a, a promise of the opening credits, who's not going to show up until like the very end of the movie, and yeah. like literally walks into the movie and like takes over the voiceover, like it's fucking casino or something, right? <laughs> well, can I tell you? Can I tell you something? Yeah. Because like, like I said, I had seen this movie in high school, but she cut it like my teacher yeah. cut it off before Christian Bale shows up. And I don't think I was maybe like as conscious of the fact that he was in the movie yeah. um, back then. So when I'm watching it now and I knew he was going to be in it, I and I know the way Malik cuts people out of his films. I'm like looking at every background actor for the first hour and 30 minutes of this film being like is that christian bale is that christian no, that's bale? Ben like was he no, this that's guy Eddie Marzen. no yeah. that's Noah Taylor. Yeah. um what's so interesting about this performance is how he like i think taps into that similar energy but to this almost like innocence Mm-hmm. right like so often his the, the the christian bale thing is this almost like never once jacked off 
you know, just rage and impotence that he's playing. But 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 if this one is this almost it's this it's this sweetness and this kindness that counterbalances just all the chaos of everything in the movie up to that. And it's a simple character, but it's he, he's never given a performance like it in his career. You know, just just that that kind. And yeah. it's so lovely to watch. I, I think that's a one. I think it's one of his best performances he's ever given. I I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually run- think the three ten to Yuma performance kind of strays into this territory a little bit. Yeah, you're on a payroll. Well, a lot um, of it. Oh my God. <laughs> a lot of it. A lot of it is about like his relationship with his son in that film. Mm-hmm. Do um, we do we want to do the Rushmore? Yeah, I'm I'm down. Let's do it, Andrew. So- do you want to participate in in the Christian Bale? Yeah, oh, I'll participate in the, so in the you are you are gonna get Andrew, you are gonna get the first pick and the last pick. Oh wow. Uh, and can we veto the guests? Yeah. We can. Okay. I, you thought we could just that's why we made the veto. We was because of Justin we... Stillmaker. We yeah, made the veto right. because of Justin Stillmaker. <laughs> no, we already have yeah. those vetoes in play. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you so we we're gonna build the 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 the, the four best Colin Farrell Christian Bale performances collectively you get the first pick Colin Farrell ones are gonna be a ways off from that yeah um (laughs) and then what was the last one was have we done one since Samuel L. Jackson I don't believe so so I go second uh, you go third we didn't do anybody in Alexander yeah I go second Um, you go third then okay yeah that's cool but, but, but Andrew you get you get the first pick Okay. What's the best um, Christian Bale performance? So I guess I have a similar relationship to him as Connor does, where he was like my favorite actor in my, sure. you know, 10 to 16 year old years or whatever. Um, and like, it, I would, it, I would also say that about myself. He's yeah. just like supremely talented. And in a yeah. way that doesn't seem like he's talented in a way that seems more sincere than maybe like Daniel Day Lewis kind of, doing similar antics in the behind the scenes of the films being made. Like I yeah. said, like it seems like he's making it more challenging because he doesn't feel like he justifies the salary if it's not, which is bad. Yeah. Um, and just like, I mean, it, it, for me, it's like, just like has to be the dark Knight, which I feel like is maybe not a hot take, but, uh, <laughs> um, it, although I, I do hear people like complain that like the dark Knight isn't even about like, Bruce Wayne or Batman or anything. It's like, just like purely the Joker. Um, but I think he's just amazing in those movies and that movie particularly. And is, is I, I, that that's like my favorite movie of all time. Like <laughs> that, movie, that made me, made me love movies. Do you like um, his performance in that one better than his Batman Begins performance, which I think a is question. a worse film than the dark Knight, but yeah. I do think about, there's a lot he's of giving different Batman I'm, Begins. I'm having the same thought. He's giving different performance, like he's playing yeah. different characters. And the, like the the scene when he has the gun is so good, and uh, uh, Batman begins. He and Rachel. I, I would on. not be mad if like if like in hypothetically, if you were to veto Dark Knight and put Batman Begins, I would not no, be mad. No, I'm not so it might be like it, yeah. a bit me. Uh, I'm not. I'm not saying you would, but because uh, I have another pick that you would probably veto. Um, <laughs> You get. I know, pick. and I'm and I'm debating whether I want to do it or not. <laughs> um, um, but uh, it, you know it, what it I, might be me conflating the movie with 
the performance to say the Dark Knight, I guess. I don't think so. Um, because I there definitely is an argument that the Batman Begins is a better performance from him because it's way more Thank driven you. by him. Um, I add my two cents to maybe why the Dark Knight works because of the Christian Bale performance. Mm-hmm. Because what I kind of adore about what he's doing in the Dark Knight is meeting the weight of his consequences of taking yes. of taking this vigilante stance and taking organized crime and just like the chaos of terrorism head on as a lone warrior mm-hmm. without the apparatus of like bureaucracy around him and yeah. he's not that's not something that he's dealing with in batman begins yeah like, and batman like, begins the decision... is that interpersonal story of of like what would I... force a man into dressing up like a bat to yeah. punch people at night Another thing about Christian Bale is like he's really good at playing intelligent, but not uh, like intelligent men who don't speak a lot. And you can like kind of see the mat, the the like arithmetic of his actions, mm-hmm. like working behind his eyes. And I, I just think like his that 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 portrayal of Bruce Wayne is like maybe the best case use of a Christian Bale. And there's like an interesting dynamic where he is like an actor in the movie, too. Yes. Where he's pretending to be the the billionaire playboy which yeah. i feel like i mean does it in the first one too but the the he has like the freak out in the mansion when he kicks everyone out and uh, there is something like a little bit purer about it in the second one um but also the the weight of the con the the decision at the ending yeah to to, to like take the fall is just mm-hmm. like i i love it so much and the 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 exit there is is just like my favorite moment ever Two two things about that because my, my my gut instinct was to be like oh I think he's better in Batman Begins even though I don't like Begins um, and I think the Dark Knight's a masterpiece I was like is he better but Begins is a little David S Goyery it's, it's so like Goyery oh my Goyery. god I can't. Yeah. that movie stinks there are there are three bad Nolan movies and that's the worst of them um, what are the other two following is not good following no dark knight rises oh, is following a, yeah a perfect movie following i love, is, the I love dark that knight really not very good i like dark knight rises too dark knight rises is a movie where it feels like everyone is being held at gunpoint uh that's except for Anne it. hathaway and that's, that's why, why i, I like hate it, it. Uh, joseph gordon levitt seems like he wants to be there also interstellar is bad um I, I also think, kind of agree with you with Interstellar. So you I like think, you like Tenet more than Interstellar? I do. I definitely. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hey, 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 Andrew. What do you like better, this filet mignon or this weak old <laughs> Big Mac? Do I like Tenet more? <laughs> Tenet is Cole. one of the great movies. Cole, okay. I'm, I'm. We should do a Tenet. Uh, watch along episode because you don't need to pay attention to the dialogue anyways so we could just talk the whole time during the movie <laughs> every line of dialogue in that movie is so good it's uh... do you ever think about how the twist of tenant is that two dudes were actually best friends that is <laughs> yeah. the best movie ever made i fucking love tenant oh my god <laughs> don't get me started tenant is maybe his best movie um okay. anyway my gut instinct was to say that Bale's better and begins, but I just think he's flashier and begins. And and two things I want to say about Bale and The Dark Knight, and they're both kind of related. I have long stated that I think Aaron Eckhart is giving like a virtuosic like 
outstanding performance of the Dark Knight has never gotten credit for. And there is something about how Bale because and it's 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 in the script, it's in the direction, it's in the relationship between those two characters. But Bale, especially when he's in Wayne mode, uh, is is reacting to this guy he wants to be. And and like Bale has never let himself be the subservient actor in the way that he does to Eckhart in that movie. And, and, and I think it unlocks so much interesting aspects of him as a performer that he's always been too much of the lead to ever be. Does that make sense? Yes. But so my question then to that is how does that, what about the new world? I don't, I don't even think it's, I I think he's doing something different in the new world. Yeah, uh, because he it's doesn't different. necessarily. There, there's something about how Wayne idolizes Dent in that movie yeah. that like causes Ek Bale to have to be subservient as a performer and reactive as a performer and listening as a performer in a way he, he not even to say that he's not listening as he's never done stuff like that. The, the, the energy he gives in those scenes, especially the dinner t- when they're at mm-hmm. dinner. He's never yeah. given that performance. The other bit is he doesn't get enough credit for this because it's Eckhart's big scene and it's Hall's big scene. But when he saves Eckhart from the explosion, that like the, the way he walks in and grabs Eckhart. The pause. The way, the the pause, way he, like, the, yeah. like, he opens the, pause the door. And then the just yeah. fucking freight train energy yeah. that he takes to it so much there's so much in how he moves in that scene mm-hmm. right and he didn't need to go that hard because again all the attention is on the other two actors in that scene but I he's also gonna just, like, do it i also just love i love 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 the juxtaposition i watched this sequence like i used not anymore but i probably like around like 2011 2012 when i was really getting interested in like how films are structured like how how they're edited i would watch the sequence over and over and over again which is in the aftermath of rachel dying and and harvey having his face burnt and you have this like sequence that that transitions from harvey like ripping the gauze off of his face and having a silent scream while there's like like a like a dog whistle siren playing that like bellows out the actual sound of his voice then it cuts to just bruce sitting in the apartment with the batman suit still on just like holding the mask in his hands just looking at alfred and being like what have i done like i i i tried to save the city and and i'm the one that's causing this to happen and i don't like (laughs) i haven't seen that i haven't seen that 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 version of guilt portrayed by any actor in any other film ever it's like the most film boat bro thing I could say, but like there's there's a fairly decent chance that we do an episode of The Dark Knight at some point. I think uh, so, because yeah. it, it just aligns with the project in in a way. One one actor in particular seems that seems like a fairly obvious candidate to do on the show. Um, that might have to be the episode where we're like, no, we're going through this fucker scene by scene. Yeah. Um, it's also like it's also about, like yeah. Cole you're a little bit older than me and Andrew but we're all of a similar age where it's like the most influential film yeah of I, our, because I and like I know of I'm the most of, pivotal time period of our adolescence like mm-hmm. yeah. I know it's like a, a shitty film bro thing to say it's not even close to my favorite 
uh, Nolan movie, but it's just like the movie for our generation where I have thought about every like shot of that movie. Like I really do every think shot, it's every our generation's reading. Pulp Fiction in that way. Where I, I would even go further. I would say Pulp it's Fiction. The way a movie for babies. Well, no, no, um, I don't. I don't hear people like my dad's age talk about Pulp Fiction the way they talk about Goodfellas, and I think people our way, our uh, age, talk about The Dark Knight in a similar way to like people my dad's age talk about I, Goodfellas. I know dudes who are like 10 to 15 years older than me who think about Pulp Fiction in that very like classical way. Like I do, I do. Um, But you get what I see? Like, you know, like, like, because Goodfellas is probably my dad's favorite movie. And it's the same thing where it's like, I've seen it so many times. I think about just like random, not even like shots, but just like micro segments of shots that Scorsese had like set up and like different looks on actors' faces and different line readings and how they play and how the whole film works as a whole. And from like in Goodfellas is something that I inherited from my dad. Yeah. But it's something I genuinely love, but it is something I inherited from my dad. And (laughs) but the Dark Knight like was that for me at the yes. age of of thirteen what's, or twelve or what's how old I was. Better, the Dark Knight or Heat? Dark Knight for oh. me. For me, um, I think the Dark Knight, and I think it's because Bale and Ledger are both tapping into something elemental that and Eckhart and, and Eckhart, Eckhart. <laughs> and Pacino and De Niro are great but they're tapping into something that's pop cultural and not necessarily oh, something God. elemental about yeah the I, I think you know I, I mean? think the Dark Knight's better than Heat yeah. but also Heat's like not in my top five Michael Mann movies so I'm not gonna sweat it um I mean okay. but you don't you don't have the Dark Knight without Heat you don't. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. You don't. I have to say well, one more thing okay. before we okay. move on. I have to say. I have to say. I have to say one more thing before we move on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> you don't fucking have the heat without the circular rouge. Okay, shut the fuck <laughs> up and get out of here. You don't have fucking heat without fucking angels with dirty faces. Okay, shut the get the fuck out of here. You fucking heat bros. All right, but you say? really don't have the like. If you if you remove heat from the equation, like, was the Dark Knight going to be a ripoff of like to live and die in L.A.? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have to say one more thing before we move on because you said this about the Affleck's Batman <laughs> you said this about Affleck's Batman that you were like most people play where Bruce Wayne is the mask and Batman is the actual yes figure. Bale, but Bale uh, doesn't play it like that I don't yes think. he does I think, yes, he no does. because Batman Batman to him is also a theatrical being a performance yes. that he is putting on there's, sure. th- there's like three or four or five or six different Bruce yes. Wayne's where there's there's the Bruce Wayne the the billionaire playboy which is it, the, the most act of them all there's the the Batman which is a more sincere but still an act then there's the Bruce Wayne that he puts on when he's with Alfred there's the Bruce Wayne he puts on when he's with Lucius there's the Bruce Wayne he puts on when he's with Rachel and then there's like the Bruce Wayne that you just see every once in a while when he's like in the cave there's just like trapped in his own thoughts and like that's there the there, there is no there is no version of him where he is interacting with anyone but alfred that is real yeah yeah whereas the, and that's the, the, the brilliance I think what i yes and love no, that's about, very, that, well, that's what i love about if it's more than christian bill it's like it's nolan's interpretation of the yes. character which is like the matt reeves batman is just 
a guy. It's just yeah, and he doesn't exist in the world. He doesn't know what I mean. No, it's a very good read in the character. It's very interesting as Slayer. Just the thing that I love so much about Affleck's read on Batman is that Affleck is the only person ever live action where that that man is something outside of Batman. Right. (laughs) Like, like Bruce Wayne exists outside of Batman in the way that Peter Parker exists outside of Spider-Man. Right. There's, there's also Affleck is the the only person interested in playing Bruce Wayne as a man who exists independently of his vigilante escapades. There's also, that's why I like that performance so much. Snyder-esque, partially like, Tony Stark inspired, partially Frank Miller inspired. Yes. Where Batman, where Bruce Wayne loves being a billionaire. Yeah. That's a part of the Ben Affleck one where yes. I get the vibe from the Bale version he that he like, he loathes his his wealth. He loathes yeah, his but, status. But like that's, he would, but here's the that's thing. why that's why he's trying to hand off the mantle As, to Harvey Dent yes. so badly because he just wants to relinquish like all this responsibility but, that he has. But but yeah. as interesting and as nuanced a take as Bale finds in that space. Keaton was also doing that. And honestly, so was Adam West. Like they're, no, they're Adam, all... no, Adam West, Adam West is a guy who loves being rich, also. Sure. He's also but, a guy but who loves Adam West, but Bruce does not exist yeah. in those. Um, anyway, we gotta keep going, guys. Andrew, you look really <laughs> tired. Are you up, Cole? You're yeah. okay. Yeah. I'm I'm fucked because Andrew, I thought you were gonna go with something else. I love your pick. I love your pick. Mm-hmm. I thought you were gonna go with something else. Well, we could just pick all three Dark Knights. No, we're not gonna do that because <laughs> as much as I love Rises, he's terrible in Rises. Yes, um, you have so many uh, David O. Russell films to pick from. Though. So I am torn. I'm torn between being interesting, and I am torn between doing what is right. This is a question that weighs on my soul often when we do these things. Are you going to pick Newsies? And I always end (laughs) up going with doing what I think is right. Even if I think it's boring, even if I think there's... There's a pretty good chance if I didn't pick this, uh, one of the two of you would pick it. But I can't... okay, I know what you're going with. ...risk not having what is... Obviously and undeniably the best performance he's ever given. Probably the most iconic by and the most iconic one yeah. and the one that got him Batman. Yeah. So apologies to a certain film from 2009 that I think he is transcendent in. Uh but pick two has has fun American Psycho. American Psycho. What, 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 Bateman, what do you want from me? Apologies to Terminator Salvation. Yes, that was the 2009 film <laughs> I was talking about. You see the seeds of everything that goes wrong for Christian Bale later (laughs) in this performance, because the trick of the performance is that there's nothing to it, right? Like the movie tells you that in the beginning, the first scene in the movie tells you that, right? That there's, there is nothing here. There's nothing behind those eyes, right? How do you play that though? Right. How do you play that sheer sociopathic vapidity? He, he doesn't. He figures it out. And to some degree, it's like him weaponizing every bad technique he has and all the showboatiness of it. But, like, it's one of the most horrifying characters ever captured on screen. Mary Heron's a genius yeah. director. There's nothing to say about it. it we know it's incredible. It's, mm-hmm. it's fucking Patrick Bateman in American Psycho. It's 
the 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 performance that made his career. It's it is the best child actor is telling you they're now serious a serious adult performance anyone's ever given, right? Like no one even talks yeah. about it like that, but it is. I don't I don't know where the exact citation of this comes from, but uh I think I don't know where it was, but Christian Bale, there's like inter, there's like an interview segment that is floated around where he says that he saw Tom Cruise on David Letterman in 1999. Yes. And he was like, that's Patrick Bateman. Yes. <laughs> like, just just unbelievable. I watched the director's commentary with Mary Heron years ago, maybe like yeah. 10 years ago. And the scene where they're looking at the business cards, she said that they did like a lot of takes like maybe 20 takes because there's so much coverage because there's so many different inserts and inserts of actors faces too so like they had to do the full scene and after like the eighth or ninth take the other actors in the scene who are like justin Theroux and josh lucas what like asked if they could speak to her side and they 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 had not met christian bale yet and they were like is this guy okay this is what she says on the director's <laughs> commentary they're like is this guy okay and she's like what are you talking about and they're like is he like actually like violent or like deranged and she was like not that i know of and they're like he is he begins sweating at the same cue every single time we do this take this is what she says on the director's commentary (laughs) like he was that exact of an actor while they were filming that he forced himself to sweat at the same cue each and every single time that they filmed that scene just absurd crazy all professionalism. What can I yeah. tell you? Uh, Mary Heron rules. I don't want to think about the fact that her new movie stars Ezra Miller. So we're just going to move on. It's a tough break. Tough break. Uh, nobody saw her Manson movie, but her Manson movie was incredible. Is it my, am I up? Or right. Andrew, do you have, do you want to say anything about American Psycho? I mean, it's, it's an obvious. It's, it it yeah, has to be. You there. can't not have it on there. It, it, it does put me into a position now that, that you're not going to like, but. Uh... <laughs> I got, I'm going to veto you until you go to a certain uh, federal agent from the 1930s. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> you only have one. How do you know? he's gonna... <laughs> um, This is difficult for me. Uh, I, I, I actually think he gives the best performance in Velvet Goldmine, even though he's not either. Of the okay, if you put another film. fucking Todd Haynes movie on one of these lists, <laughs> I'm canceling the damn. Podcast. Well, I'm not. I'm. I, I already put. I'm not there on a different list, so it's not. It's not. He's, coming out oh my one. god! Is that um, his career worst performance? Mm, uh, no, I think Vice might be his career worst performance. Oh yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Right. Is that a hot take? That Vice? No. I didn't you know, I, I have famously said that Vice is the worst movie ever nominated for Best Picture. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I also don't know if that's true. I have to kind of like look uh, at well, I feel like there have been I've... some pretty awful movies. Have you ever seen Cimarron? Yeah, Cimarron's fine. <laughs> Cimarron's awful. fine. Hey, hey, Andrew, Andrew, I've seen them all. Vice <laughs> is the worst one. I know what I'm talking about. I've seen them all. <laughs> um... There's one that I'm probably going to end up picking and but I want to just like cover a few others and Andrew you're free to pick either of these. Um I think if you subtract Bruce Wayne from the equation, I think he and Nolan really hit gold in the prestige yeah. as well. Yep. That kind yep. of like he just plays obsessive to a T 
just like better than anybody else does, which I think makes the Ford v Ferrari performance also good because of that obsession that he can tap into. The only um, problem with the prestige is that Jackman's like running circles around him. I don't know if Jackman's running circles. It's just like I, the film is just so much more interested in what Jackman's up to. Sure. Um, I think I yeah. I think that Jackman performance is something. It's like it's really special. great. They're both awesome. In that yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no. Bale Bale is very good. That Jackman taps into something like alchemical in that movie. Oh, Cole. I also think he's really bad in Little Women. I've never seen. I, I've never seen it. It's. I hate to say it because I think he's a teenager when they shoot that. And I, I just, I don't I, want to say it. I, I think bad, he's but... really bad in Empire of the Sun. I'm sorry. Um, um, no, I think, I think he's like, I think that's like the best child performance I've ever seen. Oh Empire Christ! Of the Sun. Come on! <laughs> no, what I swear are to we God. doing here? I think that's like the best. That's not the one but I'm going to pick. Though. You, you've, you've laid the groundwork yeah. enough for you to just say Terminator Salvation. So just say Terminator Salvation. Hey, McGee, holla at your boy. No, I'm going with Rescue Dawn. The Werner Herzog. Okay, film. you know I've yeah. never seen. I've never seen it. I rewatched it this morning, and if it's all the qualities that we're talking about—the obsessiveness, the kind of willingness to tap into derangement, um, but yet still be someone who's perceived as highly intelligent, or at least like emotionally intelligent—that characters on screen don't typically tend to come off as—I think you get it all in that film. I think that film kind of the last two minutes or three minutes of it Herzog like really loses grasp of what he's trying to say um I don't want to spoil anything because I know a lot of people actually haven't seen this I haven't seen it I've yeah. seen little Dieter learns to fly the oh, okay documentary so you know the story I know the story yeah yeah I mean yeah it's like I said he's in two prisoner of war films one is his first film it's the spoopy mm-hmm. one um i don't know why cole thinks he's bad in that i think he's like i think he's like nine when that movie's made and it's just unbelievable um but i think rescue dawn is like i know he's skinnier in the machinist but rescue dawn is like he's willing to suffer on camera in a way that nobody else is either willing or capable of doing and he looks strange and he gives a good performance regardless it's just Nobody else, nobody else can do it. Nobody else can do it. Matt Damon lost a lot of weight once and like lost his mind and was like, I'll never do this ever he again did? for as long as I live. Yeah. Um, the war the war movie from the nineties that he's in. Save uh, right? No, 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 no. That's no, what I no. <laughs> uh, I'll look I'll look it up. But you, you hear stories of like actors will lose a lot of weight like one time and it breaks it like emotionally yeah. breaks them and it prevents them from ever doing anything similar um for as long as they live. Uh and and I'm not saying that like it's an automatic, like you still have to give a good performance, but I think just like Rescue Dawn is the encapsulation or like the platonic example of Christian Bale's willingness to put himself out there on camera. Does that make sense? Cole, have you ever sure. seen that movie? No, no, I haven't. Yeah, me neither. Yeah. I did, deal, like nobody I, a lot of people haven't seen it. Like, weirdly, depending on how you feel about American Masterpiece. Bad Lieutenant, Protocol, New Orleans. Uh, Rescue Dawn is like kind of the last time Herzog was actually relevant. It was kind yeah. of like his last big gasp. Again, depending on how you feel about Bad Lieutenant, um, a movie that like seemed like a, a cult favorite a year before it came out. Uh, Courage Under Fire is the one with Courage Damon Under Fire. A, a movie, 
a movie I'm scared to watch because I don't want the Denzel Washington Meg Ryan movie to be bad. Um, <laughs> I think my the two deal favorite is, actors. <laughs> I think the deal is he plays a soldier who has such strong yes. PTSD that he is like addicted to heroin or morphine, sure. maybe. And so he lost, like Damon lost like 50 or 60 pounds for the part, yeah. This is a fun list, Andrew. You're going to bring us home. Okay. Um, This is going to be our longest episode, by the way. Easy. uh, hmm. I'm going to say The Prestige. Okay. Um, (laughs) I thought it was going to get picked. I thought... uh, I thought American Psycho is there, and and I thought Prestige. Um, I didn't yeah, think Con- Connor swerved on us. Good for Connor. Um, I want to throw one in there that that a lot of people haven't seen, and I didn't yeah, want yeah. it to be Out of the Furnace because, like, he get like there's a scene. Okay, so Andrew, have you seen that movie Out of the Furnace? The I've seen Scott it. Cooper? I saw yeah. it like when it came out, and you I you know that scene with he watched it. There's like that one scene with he and Zoe Zaldana that's like the greatest on screen interplay ever in any in any movie ever made there is and then and then the rest no of the movie, way that is true. it is cole it is like there like is, just okay. cole cole just watch the first like just watch the first 30 minutes of the movie because i think it happens at like minute 25 is when you're, the scene takes place you're telling me that a scott cooper movie has better chemistry than the scene in the elevator and drive mm-hmm. yeah. you're telling me it is better chemistry than the date night in Frank Borzaghi's history is made. It's night. not, it's not necessarily that kind of chemistry, okay. but it's like, it's, it's, it's the most heartbreaking thing you've ever seen. <laughs> you just I don't know. I don't think yeah. it is. It I just is. Don't, I just don't, it, Cause it's Christian Bale. It's cause be, it's because Christian Bale. I plays it in a way I, I, which I can only conceive was without direction because of how just like instinctually, he pulls off what he does in the scene and Zoe Saldana matches it with her own just like incredible skill and, and presence and, and ability to live. It's probably not as emotionally affecting as like several scenes in Avatar, the way of water. Like, sorry. Cole, just watch the first 30 minutes of the movie. All right. I'll do it. We're going to do Scott Cooper later in the, I know I once Andrew, I once made a pledge that I would never watch a Scott Cooper movie. Uh, well, and it's have gonna to, have to get yeah. broken because of the stupid podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna Did hold. Did you see one Scott Cooper movie that made you feel that way? No. Well, no? Then I would have watched the Scott Cooper movie. Oh uh, yeah, true. I just immediately locked into the fact that he's not a real director. You know what it was? It was the 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 blatant attempt to try to rebrand Brand as a horror guy. I was just like, yeah, Why did you do I don't that? think Antlers. Yeah, you just did forget Antlers. about Antlers. Yeah, I didn't see it. It was his Wendigo movie with Jesse Plemons. Yeah. And I think uh, 2021. Wow. Just yeah. like skipped right by. Well, me. It, so it was supposed to come out in early 2020. Like it was supposed Charlie to come Russell's out in like April in 2020. Um, but COVID and Fox pushed it because of the acquisitions and everything. Um, so he went to horror because uh, Black Mass was so bad. Because because he's a cynical what? piece of shit. Because uh, isn't speak... the pale blue eye also horror? I haven't seen that. Oh, it must. I mean, it's a Poe thing. No, it it's like a police horror. procedural. Yeah, but do it must have think, horror elements. Do you ever think how insane it is that there are three different movies where Edgar Allan Poe solves a murder? 
uh, the John Cusack. Right? There's the John Cusack one. Uh, there's this one. The Raven. The Raven. So there's the Raven, which is basically a saw knockoff, where like an old Edgar Allan Poe is brought in by the cops because there's a serial killer in Baltimore, like basing his works on Edgar Allan Poe novels. Hmm. And then there's Pale Blue Eye, where he's a young army cadet who gets like brought in to help Christian Bale solve the mm-hmm. murder. And then it wasn't very good, but I w- unfortunately, it wasn't like terrible. It had interesting stuff to it. But last year, there was a horror movie called Raven's End, which was about a young Edgar Allan Poe when he was still a West End cadet. cadet. Uh, like going to a small village and like trying to solve a murder and realizing that the village was like under the like auspices of like this Lovecraftian demon. The -hmm. idea being that like that inspired a lot of his writings. Also, it's funny. It's funny to me how, how it seems like people just think that Edgar Allan Poe and Lovecraft are like the same thing. No, they're not. They're not. (laughs) No, they're not. Uh, Speak on the prestige. Uh, well, I, I, th- I don't think this idea came to me. So we've just been talking about it, but like in the dark Knight, we said he had like, he's playing roles within roles. I mm-hmm. think the same thing you could kind of say with American psycho. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously you can say that with the prestige, with the prestige. and, and I definitely can, can agree that maybe Hugh Jackman overshadows him in that movie, but like, there's like a mystery to his character. Z that i just love and the obsessive thing i guess hugh jackman more manifests but i i I just love christian bale in that movie and um i I don't know i i I, I did debate i did debate going new world for a minute uh but that was not i was not intending to do that by any means but uh the the like role within role thing made me think about it can i give you my hot christian bale in the prestige take Mm-hmm. And I'm about to spoil the prestige. So if somehow you have not seen the prestige gang, fast forward. <laughs> they are magicians. Yeah. Spoiler. Um, I I think he's like great as one of the brothers and kind of not so good as one of the other brothers. I think that's the point. Well, that's so. cool then. I mean, sure. I mean. <laughs> that <was> interesting. <laughs> but I think that's the point. Like one of those brothers is the primary, and one of those brothers mm-hmm. mostly spends his time as the 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 assistant. This- yeah. Uh, if you if you if you like through that movie, it really does feel like one of those guys is the the main Alfred, and the mm-hmm. other one is only filling in as Alfred. I think the main Alfred is a great performance. I think you think the Edward... main Kai 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 guess yeah. the main Alfred is the one that's not in love with Rebecca Hall. I I can't remember that. I'd have to rewatch it. The, the I feel main... like you're introduced. You're introduced to the Alfred that is in love with Rebecca Hall, and you watch them fall in love, and then it and then it switches, and it's the Alfred. Yeah. Most of the time, it's the Alfred who's not in love with Rebecca Hall, and you're like, why is he acting so coldly to her now? One of them. One of like them that. is very cold yeah. and withdrawn. One of them is bigger and flamboyant, which I think is mostly because that one also needs to translate through the makeup. Because he's yeah. playing Fallon for so much of it. And the one who's bigger and more flamboyant, I think that's kind of like a little hacky performance. But that main that main alpha performance is like heartbreaking, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's my hot take. And you're right, Andrew. It's kind of cool that one of those performances is bad. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like subtle differences that like I can't yeah. even remember them right now as yeah. we're sitting I, here. But like when you rewatch, you're like, oh, yeah. And it's I also the better it with people who have not seen it. It's yeah, the better Nolan it. take on a tale of two cities, also. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. I, 
I like the Dark Knight Rises because it is such a cursed, strange text. It's there's something magical about it, right? It just it just kind of just you're like, oh my god, this is a movie that they made and gave to me, and I just have to like take it in. It's total. Nolan is a better director than Chris than Terrence Malick. Sorry, Terrence Malick couldn't make Tenet. I don't think that's. I don't know that he could make any like popcorn <laughs> yeah. movie. Tenet is not a popcorn movie, though. Is the yeah, thing. it is. No, it's like alienating and strange and hates yeah. the audience. Yeah. The the actual, I think, boldest thing about Christopher Nolan, which people don't give him credit for, is that he actually. This is that thing you were saying about weirdly um, Malik earlier about this movie, but I, I I think it's true about Nolan. He sees nothing wrong with making a movie that you will not understand on the first viewing and that is not um like a plot thing like oh my god these movies are so confusing that is that the prestige and tenant and to a lesser extent because i don't think it works as well interstellar are movies that do not like unlock the key of the emotional truth of that movie until their last minutes and you watch yeah, them Memento a Memento kind of too. Memento, yes, yes, I mean, actually, I guess yes. You get it at the end. Yes, but like, but like the the kind of like heartbreak and tragedy and pathos of some of his movies is intentionally withheld from the audience because it's withheld from characters and mm-hmm. it's unlocked at the end. And then when you watch it a second time, and it's not even the, like the twist changes the plot. The twist tells you what the movie is about emotionally, and then you watch it a second time, and you're like, like, you watch The Prestige the first time, and you're like, this is a fun movie. You watch The Prestige the second time, and you're like, this is the saddest movie ever made. It's also like, he gets a lot of shit for... He he gets a lot of shit for returning to the dead wife well, like over and over and over again. He, but in the prestige is like one of the only ones where it actually like yeah. functionally works within the, the story that he's telling. And part of it is because the wives die because of the men. I I like get the men are complete like directly complicit in their deaths. The I, I get why people complain about the dead wife thing, but you do have to understand that like the only person Christopher Nolan has worked with on every single movie yeah. is his wife. The The dead wife thing is him being like, my greatest fear is that I lose the person who's actually most that was important my, to me. That was my take on it that I said after yeah. class that one day to you and Genevieve. And yeah. Genevieve was like, oh, I like these movies now. Yes. <laughs> like She like took a step back. Because I, like, said, I said, the thing about Christopher Nolan is he has these great ideas and every film needs conflict. And to him, it's just... He, he's lived a very blessed life. He 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 didn't necessarily like grow up with a ton of money or anything like no. that, but he hasn't had like horrible things happen to him. He's he's not like Oliver Stone who went to war and like watched all his friends die horribly. Mm-hmm. He's he's lived a blessed life and he's been successful. And I think genuinely to him, his worst nightmare, his literally his worst nightmare is that his wife dies and his children, like the custody of his children yeah. gets taken out of his hands. People... And that's why it just happens like over and over and over again in his films. People and I make... find that kind of heartwarming that it's, it's like so it's just this guy who loves his wife and his kids so much. People, just doesn't want people to make jokes about how he doesn't have a cell phone because they're like, oh, Christopher Nolan thinks he's too good to cell phones. No, Christopher Nolan doesn't want to work when he's off the clock because yeah. he's with his wife and kids. Like 
he's actually like a sweetheart who like just I, I find it very romantic. Okay, I didn't know I could like Christopher Nolan more, but I now like Christopher. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, that realizing that that was what the wife thing actually was because you do realize that like oh she's the only person who worked on following who also worked on tenet right because yeah. like he stopped working with jonathan uh mm-hmm. and everyone else comes on board later who, who also works with his wife yeah is, is that um, his wife i think so the woman who made that awful Please. movie no 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 that that's oh no 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 that's Jonathan's wife yeah 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 no yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah. no 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 yeah um something oh my joy, god right? I didn't is her know name they joy were... her last name Lisa joy. joy I think it's Lisa yeah. joy yeah I did not know they were married. married but yeah that's his that's I his think primary they met collaborator working on Westworld right yeah they met working no on I think Westworld. they made Westworld no already no they met on Memento they met at the premiere of Memento oh wow nice. I didn't know that God they they do not talk about their private lives at all. Um, good that's nice uh, yeah oh yeah of course but like like i'm trying to see like when did they get married when did they have their kids and it should be wikipedia well wikipedia is just citing they are married they have kids oh really interviews from westworld where they acknowledge that they are married and have kids (laughs) right it's not like the people magazine article that like jonathan nolan expecting first time they were married in 2009 yeah Good for them. I think Jonathan Dolan is a hack. Um, and her movie was unwatchable. But good for movie? them. Reminiscence. Reminiscence. With, with Hugh Jackman Hugh and Jackman, Tendi Way yeah. Newton. And yeah. Rebecca and, uh, Ferguson. The most like. Becky Ferguson. She's like femme fatale. No, it's not happening. Did you see that movie? Rebecca Ferguson. I did, yeah. Hey, 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 hey. In this house, we respect Rebecca Ferguson. Not ha- Femme pro- Fatale is not working. Femme Fatale is not working. That archetype is not working with Rebecca Ferguson. It's not happening. It's a pro. She's too innocent in the podcast. eyes. Like she- it's just not happening. Somebody did not see Doctor Sleep. Just gonna put that out there. That is true. She plays the greatest villain in modern cinematic history. No shit. Also, Ilsa Faust is like a textbook Femme Fatale. Yeah. Fucking Elsa Faust. Fuck off. You she's in your favorite movie of all time. What are you talking about? Uh she's in Dune. What am I talking? Oh yeah, yeah. She is in my favorite movie of all time. Is yeah. she is she in Blade Runner? Because she could be in Blade she's Runner. She's not. No. But she so. could be, she right? Could be. Yeah, absolutely. Like if you told she me. Probably she probably could Runner. she probably could play the Robin uh the Robin Wright part. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, Robin writes in Blade Runner. Robin I know Wrights we had Runner. this conversation. You're not kidding. Colin Farrell is in this movie. Colin Farrell's yeah. in the New World, and he's <laughs> he's great. He's it's the best performance he's given so far. Yeah, best performance he's given so far. It is a miracle of casting. That is. I just want to open with yeah. that. He has not been better cast in a movie than he is in this one. Um, there's something, and I don't know if I have the words for it, but there is something about that Malikian longing that he so perfectly can lock into. I've, I've said a lot in other episodes that when he feels like he's bad in a movie, it feels like he's looking for something. Mm-hmm. As a performer, yeah. and that 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 works so well because John and Smith, bad directors, bad directors read that as like, oh, he's dumb. Yeah, no, yeah. but but the whole point of John Smith is that he's he's unknowable, right? So it's it's almost the Bobby performance again too. It's like 
the, the it's all on the surface to mask the mystery. I think the thing with John Smith Under. is like his world loathes him, so he's his world loathes him. New. I yeah. love that we don't find out why he was in jail. I know, yeah. I just love I love that the movie begins with like like some Malik presents water as this yeah. like great connecting tissue between people. This like literally like a vein that like is the lifeblood of 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 humanity of the earth and mm-hmm. it's bringing these these ships these like floating clouds of like new people to america and then john smith is is introduced like crouching out of the shadows in the dungeon below deck in the jail in the jail cell that he's in with his hair his his like greasy long black hair dripping in his face and it's it's almost like a horror movie presentation well, he's just so beautiful and it's it's, not... it's like it somehow he's I mean... literally coming he's literally coming from like he he it's it's again it's from like the, the primordial truth right from yes. the imagination he's he's athena leaving fucking zeus's skull he's he he's not real in, in that moment when he becomes him as john smith this beautiful figure this incredibly famous historical person like I talked about like I made the joke that like it's so funny that his follow up to Alexander bombing was basically trying to do the same thing again, like to play yeah. another famous historical figure from an iconic American like irascible director. But like Alexander never understands the movie never understands and his performance never understands the the weight of the lineage of alexander the great but from this first moment of him like emerging from the darkness you're like he's not real he's myth and then the second the water hits his face you're like no he's man right he is god and he is man and that's 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 not the performance right and i think there's this other thing it's like and i keep i keep referring back to it because david thulis his character makes such a point to call out that like John Smith's even legitimacy as a captain is, is of dubiousness because he was born of such low birth to like working class people. And it's just the fact that like, he's coming out of feudalist Europe. He's like literally coming out of like this prison that constricts humanity in, in like a singular direction with these monarchs leading the way. Uh, And, and, the new world is literally like this way for him to like leave the shackles of mm-hmm. his upbringing behind. And that's, that's also like part of the tragedy is like, he yeah. cannot escape. And, and it fully. Up, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know that I think this is the best performance he's given so far. I think it is top tier. And again, it is significantly worse in the theatrical cut because I think he actually suffers the most of the theatrical cut. I do too. Uh, yeah. Because you need to spend time with him. But like, I said I said on some episode that like acting is ultimately about telling the audience who a character is. He's not yeah. doing that. He's not doing that. He's actually not giving us anything. He's not. Mm. It's pure reaction. Like I there there think is so, yeah. But not even in the way that like I, I I like home at the end of the world, Bobby is also such like an ennoble figure, but he's like he's keying us into the nature of this character. But but Colin's not doing that here. He's embodying a person who doesn't know who he is and doesn't let anyone else in. And he maybe tries to let this one woman in, but he's he can't ever 
do that. And I think you're left being like, you don't know who this man is because you could never know who this man is because this man is too great to be summed up by a performance. Not great in the like good sense, great in the Alexander the Great sense, right? Yeah. And Until I, the I, very end when he says that he he may have sailed past his indies. But, and I just but, burst out crying. No, it, what, what's sad about that is that you, you thought that he he's made, still... She knows who she is by that point. In time. She knows who still, she is. He, he's still yearning. He's still he, out there looking. Yeah. He's yearning, but also the, the man we might have thought he was is not the man he is. Yeah, right. That, that, that was that was someone we thought he could be. He I also think there's this this dichotomy of like the man speak. who he is when he's adventuring is not the man who he is when he's in because age. he's not yeah. a man. Because a man is not a man, right? Like yeah. Like our person is not a person. People are more multifaceted than that. It's for for all that Malik loves his dichotomies. Like Smithby is such it's such a complex understanding of who this guy is, and that we will never understand this guy is. It's almost I almost want to equate him to Kane, to Charles Foster Kane, right? In, yeah. in this grand unknowability, and, and and but Colin he understands that. He understands that he can never understand. And it's it's such a an open performance in his closed off in this. I don't even have the words for it. He's so so fucking hot. He's so fucking hot. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the what did I text you? His... What did I text you two weeks ago? I don't even remember. I, I think so I just insane. said, God, Colin Farrell is so fucking hot. And you said <laughs> you were like what are we talking about right now? And I just sent a screen. I just sent a still of him in the new world with like the chest of his shirt open and his hair like flowing back by. Yeah. If I'm annoyed at the Pocahontas stuff to bring it back, it's because I think that Smith is such a well-drawn character that allows Colin to, to just be such a, a purely existing in the moment performer. And I wish Corianka Kilcher got the same opportunities can i give you guys a reading which i think like leads into why i find that ending like so heartbreaking and why it like affects me really that much my reading of why he tells he tells mendelssohn to tell her that he died right yeah it's the mendelssohn character yes my reading of it my reading of it is that he sees this as he's pissed off the higher-ups too much and now they're sending him off to die on this like suicidal expedition up the coast up into the arctic and he just doesn't think he's making it back that's interesting. that's part of my reading of it yeah that's that's not mine but that's interesting and i think it's like i think it's part of this like almost generosity to be like just tell her that i'm gone that i'm not coming back because i don't regardless of what happens it's not i gonna happen. don't think it's generous i think he wants a clean break I don't think, I think it's a little bit of both. And I yeah. think that's the whole thing with the Malik is like everything is so complicated and multifaceted. Yeah. And then when you have like Knight of Cups where nothing is complicated or multifaceted, it just all falls apart. Doesn't it kind of like ruin the last line if uh the the indie sailing past the indies thing if he legitimately thought he was gonna die? No, because I think Cole's right. Like I think mm. there's there's I think it's generous, but I think there's also there's there's also this this feeling of like i found this beautiful new world and i muddied my place in it and now it's better for me to leave and find another new world if i can what what i think is so sad about that last line is that it's her realizing that he doesn't love her and maybe he never did 
It's that maybe he's he never that he, did. No, I think he's saying that that no. I don't read it like that at all. I think I think he's saying he did. And I think what's sad about that moment is that he didn't. He can say it. No, I he think might she's, even believe it. I think she's saying, I hope you did find love. And or it's like, I hope you will find love. And he's saying, I think I had it. Well, he says that thing. He says the thing about like, I thought it was a dream. I thought what we had was a dream, but it was the truth. But that's a lie. That's not that's not real. And that's why she leaves. That's why she goes back to John Roth. He says that to her and she goes back to John Roth. And well, that's the other thing is like, I don't think she goes back to John Roth. I think she's already decided that like her truth is with John Rolfe. I think she decides it when he says the thing about it being the truth to her. You think so? Because I think she knows, you know, I, I think she's figuring it out, but I think she realizes it there. I, I think she realizes it over the course of the conversation because I don't think he ever loved her, right? I think, I think this is what Colin gets at at that end scene. I think he loved the idea of her. And I think to some degree, the movie loved the idea of her. But Rolf loved her. Yeah. And that's different. And that's why she can choose to love Rolf at the end. Yes. And I think that's why he says, let her know I die, because to some degree, he knows that he never loved her and he needs he needs to sever it. Well, like I said, like I think he he believes he's getting sent off to his death, but I think he yeah. also thinks even if it's... I don't die, I'm not coming back here. How how you can know what you I mean? tell me? That the Pocahontas stuff is worthy when, like, the Smith stuff is so fucking dense. That's my point, guys. Because the because the Pocahontas stuff becomes worthy at the I end, which makes don't... it worthy in the beginning. Yeah. Because that's the way that Malik works. Is what I'm telling you. It's like I can I also just say I love Coriana Kilcher in this movie. I wish they had cast an 18 year old. Uh, it makes me super yeah. uncomfortable some of that stuff. It I makes saw... me uncomfortable, but it, it also like. Like when I was watching the making of documentary, there's a lot of Farrell talking and being like him saying, like, I want this experience to be um, I want this experience to be something that contributes to like her development as a person and not just like a job that she you, has. You yeah. know, I've said my thing about kids. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. I just I and thought like, that was it. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that when I was watching it, that. Farrell was the only one who spoke about it. Yes. Like nobody else involved spoke about it. And Farrell was the one that was being like, you know, when I was 14, I was just playing a lot of football. I didn't do things that had a lot of consequence. And he's like, she's, she has to go out there and perform every single day in front of the camera. She has to hit her marks. And this huge multi-million dollar production is like on her shoulders and she's doing it. But he was saying that he was like, if I have anything that I can give to her, like I want this experience to be something that like helps her develop like further on. Yeah. And it's not just something that she's being used like to make. Yeah. They're friends to this day. That's really? What, uh, they got, they got packed jogging together. Like in the Hollywood Hills. God, I love uh, that. A year ago. Google Google Colin Farrell, Coriana Kilcher, like 2021. You'll see an incredible fit. Uh, Colin's like incredible jogging fit. Um, I did you see saw... him at the did you see him at the protests? Oh god. Last week? Yeah, good for him. Yeah. yeah. If you guys didn't see it, I highly recommend looking at the the interviews he's giving on the WJ picket line as a as a SAG supporter. He's such a good dude. Um 
The other thing that makes me uncomfortable with it is I just can't get this out of my head. I don't know if this is real or not. I I think it was just Jared. It might have been TMZ. It might have been Perez Hilton. It was one of like the gossip rags. But I saw someone like writing on this movie a few years later, maybe even like today, being like, uh, there were rumors that there was like a very graphic sex scene between the two of them. The studio made them cut and reshoot. Uh, which here's the thing unsourced gossip stuff in 2005 you know it could could, could have been there could have been you know uh, yeah. i don't want to hold anyone responsible for that if except that's... for like malik and the producers and maybe it didn't happen but i'm I not just, gonna pay that mind because i, I watch unless i hear somebody legitimate yeah. say something like that I'm i just this mind. movie is centered yeah. on a, a love story and i know that coriana kilcher was older than the real pocahontas but she's still 15 years younger than Colin Farrell in this movie, and she's a child in this movie. And he just, mm. I think the movie kind of fetishizes her body in a way that I don't love. I'm gonna put that out there, guys. I'm sorry. I know you like this movie, but yeah. I think it's I don't disagree yeah. with you. It's like it I said, it's like it's messy. It's not perfect. Like, like I guess that's what I was trying to hit at is like for yeah. all of for all of Terrence Malick's just like inability to not try to create the most traditionally beautiful images that he could possibly make his films are so imperfect yeah which is i find interesting it's like he wants the image to be as meticulously awe-inspiring as it could possibly be yet the films themselves are like supremely imperfect yeah. and supremely this movie messy. is gorgeous yeah, to yeah. be clear this movie looks i i don't even like lubetsky that much this movie looks like trans especially that well first it's like i was minutes. also thinking about it a lot because i was watching i had watched some of the later ones recently and yeah. This one, it's to me, it looks like the widest angle lens that they use is like a 24. And in the other, in like the, like song to song, they're using like eight millimeter lenses and it's just off putting. Like, I under, I kind of understand maybe like the artistic merit of what they're attempting to do, but there's, there's something about that, like that Ozu range of like 24 Mm -hmm. through 70 millimeter lenses that's just, captured they, everything so they, perfectly i i think it's easy to sell the foreignness of england when when they come back and everything's so yeah. gaudy i think it's yeah. harder to sell the foreignness of virginia and i think they mm-hmm. that they do capture this as this like unknowable land yeah uh in a way that i think can be a little hacky sometimes in how it's talked about in the voiceover uh, I could do without the voiceover. I could always do without the voiceover, guys. I'm one sorry. of the things that I, one of the things that I find really interesting, and um, I think this was in one of the reviews. It might have been in the Manola Dargis review, is that it doesn't really seem like Malik is trying to say that Europe is bad and and Native American America is good. It's it's almost like. He's trying to say that the 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 largest tragedy is that you have these people who are so elementally connected to the nature around them. And like it's such a large part of their lives and culture and this this like free free wheeling all knowingness of their place within the ecosystem and like how the 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 circle of life like comes to fruition. And it's not that the British are bad for not understanding that. It's like the British have their own merits of like being able to harness industry, being able to harness uh, like engineering and um, being able to like utilize, like seize the land around them 
to create things that are like feasibly impossible to the singular human and the the bit the largest tragedy is that there it the fusion between these cultures was impossible that they can never come to a common ground that they can never come to mm-hmm. agreement yeah and obviously like most of that failure lies on the british but i think in, there is in, in something, real life yeah is this but i think i think there's just something about like it is also be- like england is also beautiful when they go there yeah like the gardens are also beautiful and more (laughs) yeah i know and i feel like pocahontas sees that in the gardens where west studi's character is a little bit more afraid i think even the west studi character is just like this is beyond anything that we thought was like this is beyond anything we thought man was capable of Yeah. yeah And it's like he's he can't he can't help but marvel at it. And it's like it hurts us more to know where this leads. Where like in the moment at the time, like if these are the actual figures in the time that the film is taking place, and yes, they're fictionalized, but they don't know that this is leading towards genocide, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. You know what um, I'm saying? Yeah. Like they can the West Studi character can still marvel at what he's seeing because he 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 does not have the hindsight of what we have of like where this is going to lead and, and like American manifest destiny and, and, mm-hmm. and all of these and Andrew Jackson and all of these horrible things that are going to come in the centuries afterwards. Uh, yeah. I think I, the Ebert review talks a lot about how like the movie is like amazingly unconscious of the, the, the history after. Yeah. Yeah. I hate to, uh, to be the bad guy here, but we should probably start, wrapping this up just because uh we might not be able to uh, release this episode in one piece yeah mm-hmm. if we go much longer uh and i think i've said my uh yeah i think Andrew, i feel like we were talking show. over you for a lot of it though do you have anything is there anything we didn't get to that you wanted to say about this movie um well i to me i guess the the most interesting thing about it is like the balance of myth and like historical realism mm-hmm. and i feel like there's it's kind of because obviously like there was no relationship almost certainly between Pocahontas and John Smith. So you have that kind of mythical aspect, but I feel like the, their actual relationship, the relationships like kind of mirror the take on myth where it's like, you know, in a love story, you meet the guy, the intrepid adventurer and you go and you fall in love and you live happily ever after or whatever. And in this one, there that's not what happens. What happens is she finds uh, it's not someone who's going to move on. Oh, like if in the screenplay, it talks about how Bale is, I mean, uh, how Smith is like, I think it's literally his first introduction. It's like he he goes to a place, he lives there, he does whatever. And then when the whim takes him, he leaves. Um, And there's like this pointed uh, difference with Rolf where he's a farmer. He is there to set down roots and to stay and to build a life. Um, And that is the less romantic figure in a dramatic sense, I guess. and it's like kind of like a realistic love story with the fairy tale part two. I I don't I don't know. Yeah, um, no, it it's... like and it's it... the juxtaposition between like I said like the it's not that he's asexual but just like the lack of sexual interest that Christian yeah. Bale typically has on and camera. He's not like a and, dude, really. And the fact that there. Colin Farrell was like the most sexual man to ever live yes. at the time that... it was taking place. But and... but but to go back to it that that it is it is taking something that is fucking literally a Disney princess story right mm-hmm. and yeah. playing it like 
it's it's playing it tonally like earthy, raw, yeah. you know, real, even though it's not real. This is not a true yeah. story. It's using the, the trappings of truth to tell this fantasy story. That means that it can then, when it does shift into telling the true story, play mm-hmm. it almost at that more operatic tonality is 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 such an interesting blending of what's truth what is myth what is does it matter right are they the same thing to some degree Uh, Mm -hmm. that which which weirdly feels that almost like brachian brachagian brachagian that (laughs) brachagesque like appeal to (laughs) to the gods in a way you know that like i think is something that malik is searching for a lot in his filmography and and can't get at i think he weirdly gets at in in this one Mm -hmm. the way i find well they're like they were both like trying to achieve what is inherently ephemeral but like true feeling but bracket which is not which is which is not intellectual which is only effectual but but brackets made commingle containers Brackage achieved the, it, the most, but Malik most, has gotten yeah. closer than a lot of other directors have to doing it at feature like long feature length. You're not gonna epics. You're not gonna tell me anything in fucking the Tree of Life hits as hard <laughs> as I Myth, buddy. Okay, <laughs> I I do like the father son relationship in Tree of Life, um, which is what I think the movie is like mostly about. But uh, what what I was what I was gonna say is it's like this thing where it's like when John Smith is when John Smith and Pocahontas are falling in love with each other or Pocahontas falling in love with John Smith or John Smith becoming infatuated Pocahontas, however you want to describe it. It's like, it begins with this scene of them learning the terms of each other's anatomy, which again is like inherently sexual, but then Pocahontas's relationship with John Rolfe begins with them, like in the fields, getting stuck in the mud, mm-hmm. laughing as they're helping each other back up onto their feet. It's something that's more platonic, but also something that feels more true to like human, like, like real fundamental human relationships that like rule people's lives, like ones that are built on like friendship and like common understanding that the John Smith Pocahontas one doesn't necessarily have, which is like leading into what you're saying, Andrew, where it's like the relationship between myth and realism is also like portrayed in these relationships where the John Smith relationship is the like overwhelming infatuation that people believe that they want to have when they're mm-hmm. in their youth and the john rolfe relationship is like the actual partnership that yeah, you like, yeah. strive to have when you're an adult and mm-hmm. then it's like it like goes even further to enter this dialogue with like other movie triangles where like in the notebook she goes back to john smith she would leave yeah. john rolfe uh, and then the movie uh-huh. go back to john smith yeah. and like almost every other movie triangle functions in that way where it's like the true love the true love is the the mythical one at the beginning and you guys get disrupted for some external reason and then you find each other and the third like the the third wheel gets left off to the side and typically like finds their own way afterwards but but it's not her right it's the indies yeah it but but what what are the indies there there there's something to be to be found that always needs to be found is that explorer's dream like 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 like, that's the love triangle it's not smith her and john i know it's smith her and the horizon but also just this tragedy this tragedy that like this man 
this the only way for this man to like escape the social shackles that he's been born into is to become an adventurer and but that means inherently to conquer for the crown that has shackled him from the beginning god there's that bit there's that bit where they're like what even is it i watched it like a couple times i don't even get like necessarily the plotting but like they're at war they know pocahontas is like being kept like prisoner in this other village and they're like we could go get her and they're like like kind of like put a hit on it and he says something like we don't we don't take hostages the king would not approve as if like a there is a civilized way to do this which this is not it's inherently an uncivilized thing and b that it's not a rescue right that any interaction they have even what is functionally a rescue can only be thought of in in these like violent terms right like yeah he he can't, he ultimately can't think of interacting with 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 the with the palatine beyond assimilation or conquest right that's the only two modes he knows and and even saving the woman he loves has to be thought of as a conquest and there's a lot there there is a lot in this movie i'm not going to say there's not unless we have anything else i think we should call it cuz i'm worried about i tell you my least favorite thing about this movie yeah eddie marson yeah is my yeah. thing about this movie well we're about to talk about one of the great eddie marson performances <laughs> just a complete so, caricature um andrew he's the guy with the bad teeth just that's the like bad teeth that's spitting yeah. yeah yeah he's gross yeah. um the guardian put out an article in 2022 that had the best love triangle films you want to guess them real quick we got it starts off with two french films i don't from, uh, jules and jim i don't Connor, i don't think we have time jules and jim come <laughs> on this is max olfels one uh, that is the best one uh, earrings and mad and uh yeah okay then you get a murnau sunrise sunrise you get a new zealand film from the See- 90s I don't think it's it's the piano. I don't think Sunrise or the piano are love triangle movies. I'm just gonna put <laughs> no, that neither out. do I. Sunrise doesn't fuck it out there. <laughs> they're they're, they're, love, um, they're those are both those are both love triangle movies in the way that the greatest film ever made, Brooklyn, is a love triangle movie. Where yes, the yes, third yes. the third wheel in the triangle there isn't actually an option. They just are like metaphorically represent this like societal rot. That is going to keep the true lovers apart. This is a pro Brooklyn podcast, Andrew. If you've never seen Brooklyn, I have not. No, the, the John you've Carney, got a. John you've Carney, got another uh, another Terrence Malick film on this list. Days. Yeah, Days. Of yeah, Days is a good love triangle. Yeah. Then you get a uh, the movie that probably like popularized the term love triangle from 1941. 1941. Oh, no. What? Forty-one, yeah. Is it an Oscar movie? Um, I th- I believe yes. I believe it won two Oscars in forty-one. So best picture in forty-one is how green was my valley. I think it won best. I think it won best actor or supporting actor. Not watch on the Rhine. Who's in it? Catherine Hepburn and. Oh fuck! That's from isn't that from forty? It did win best actor. The fucking yeah. Phil, fucking Philadelphia story. I can't yeah. stand that movie. That movie sucks. Wait, so so Casablanca is not on the list. No, Casablanca. That's not another on thing. Casablanca's yeah. see. Casablanca I is think, like the maybe the greatest love triangle. I, I think Andrew, if I may, what yeah. I just said about the piano and about Sunrise and about Brooklyn. 
I think people think of Casablanca in that. Uh, whereas uh, I watch Casablanca and I'm like, uh, what's 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 his name? The 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 freedom fighter, her husband. Oh, um, uh, Laszlo. Yeah, yeah I think that yeah. I think that also Laszlo love story in Casablanca is actually incredibly affecting and like. Yeah. It, for all that Rick says at the end of the movie that like, no, you have to be with him for important reasons, even if you mm-hmm. love me. I think she loves him and he loves her. And I think yeah, like, I, I mean, agree. obviously the real love story at the center of Casablanca is uh, between Rick and Captain Reno. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like that, that is the true love story in Casablanca. <laughs> all right. You got a uh, Billy Wilder in 1954. 54 is a seven year itch. No, also, Sabrina. uh, Sabrina, I've never seen Sabrina. I haven't seen that. You got uh, just a great film from 97. 97, uh, Titanic. I like Fun Time at the Movies. Fun Time at the Movies. No, it's not Titanic. It's a fun time at the movies. Titanic is a fun time at the movies. (laughs) It's halfway, it's halfway a fun time at the movies, and then it's like a horrific, yeah, and I'm having so much fun. Um, uh. Pro- uh, probably made this actress like the biggest star in in the world for a good five years. Seven, yeah, she so was already big. Is it a drama? It's a comedy. It's a comedy. It, she was already big before the movie came out. Who's the this movie. who are? Is, is it two men and a woman or no? Two it's women two women and a man. Yeah, two women and a man. It's not my best friend's wedding. It is my best friend's wedding. Yeah, that is a good time at the movies. Then you got um a German film from twenty thirteen. She was no know. sorry. She was already a huge star, but she had, she was coming off a couple flops. So that yeah. was a big comeback. But I don't think she ever got bigger than she was after that movie. Well, she was the that that kickstarts the second wave of Julia. When We're I was talking about Julia to NYU, and not Cameron, right? Are you talking about Julia? You're talking about Cameron. I'm sorry. I need to clarify. I'm talking about Julia. I'm talking about Julia. Yeah. So yeah. there's the two. Yeah. There's the two waves of Julia. There's, there's the, the pretty, pretty woman wave. And post, there's the my best there's like, friends. There's like right, 89 right. through 94, and then there's like 97 through 2001. Yeah, and that starts the second one. I would say it goes all the way up to 2000. Sure. Whenever Ocean's Twelve comes out, sure. 2004. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's the second wave. I love her in my best friend's wedding. That's a great performance. Uh, uh, we got a German why? film from 2013 that I haven't seen, but I feel like you may have seen. Why? Can I just say this? Why are people smart? Is it is it that she doesn't end up with him at the end of my best friend's wedding? Why are people smart enough to understand that my best friend's wedding is good because it's acerbic and mean spirited, but they look at the acerbic and mean spirited elements of you've got mail and they're like, well, this is an accident, and that's why this movie is bad. I think it's because they end up together at the end. Is it because they end up together and you've got mail? Because you because he he literally puts her business like out and then they still end up together. No, he does not. He does not. Nobody understands this. Her business is already going under because she sucks at that job. Because she is doing a nepo job. (laughs) <laughs> she has it, a better job at the end of that movie Ugh. i think it's just i think it's just the fact that they end up together yeah if, if you've got mail was a cowardly movie that was like ended with the movie being like and these people are bad and this is how you should feel about things people would like it more <laughs> instead it ends brilliantly i love you've got mail i love it so much are uh, you gonna german get this from german 13? film from 2013 it's not a yeah. petzold is it no german I believe it's a queer love triangle. 
German. Actually, I believe these next four are all clear. Ones. German? Clear Gays in Germany? I literally don't know what it is. It's called Freefall by Stephen LeConte. Never heard of it. Yeah. I'll put it on the list. This was like an actual article, too. It wasn't a list. It was sure. like an article. And yeah, these are all yeah. the films that are mentioned in the article. Yeah, yeah, other yeah. than... um. Other than there was one that was recent and the film was basically being like, this is a bad movie. And I didn't include it, but I can't remember what it is. Um, Then we have 1971. This is, I think, an action thriller. Oh, I have no idea. Sunday, Bloody Sunday. That is not an action thriller. No, that is. That's like one of the first movies about bisexuality. Oh, I've never seen it. I would have said that. Yeah, it's. um... Oh, I'm thinking of Black Sunday. That's the terrorism one at the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 2001, same cinematographer as The New World. Uh, Ethan Lomitum, yeah. Yeah. Not a love triangle. No, not a love no. triangle. No, sorry, it's not a love triangle. <laughs> it's a three, um, it's, it's about a throuple. 2018. The favorite? I don't think love exists. Yeah, the favorite? I don't, yeah, yeah, I don't think love exists I, I, in that see, movie. I like that. I like that framing yeah. of as a love triangle. That's smart. That's what's most interesting about that movie. All right. You got no game, Cole? I got no game, man. I'm gameless. I got no I got no bitches. Um, yeah, sorry this one went late. Andrew, you look very tired. Um, I am tired, but it's okay. <laughs> we've been on this call for over four hours now. Um, <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much for joining this. I hope you had fun. I did. Uh, yeah. yeah I'm sorry we, we talk so much. Um, no yeah. Andrew, you got anything you want to plug? Uh, no, no. I'm... Yeah. Yeah, that's me. I got nothing either. Connor, you want to plug the Instagram? Uh, I I want to hold off again. I want to see if I could get it up and running again before I plug it. I feel so bad. It's like, I just have no time. Uh, I don't know when to to make this stuff. Rate, review, subscribe. Uh, We will be back next week. Uh, We are currently still in the death knells of uh, Colin Farrell's movie star run. Uh, we didn't say it, but this movie flopped. This movie bombed hard. It wasn't like Alexander mm-hmm. level bad, but oh, this yeah, movie kind of yeah. died in the vine. The expectations were so high because of the Malik of it all. Uh, and yeah, it, uh, it cost thirty million. It made forty nine point three. Yeah, not good. To Wikipedia. Uh, I think by this point, the 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 idea of Colin Farrell as a leading man is kind of like fucking over, and we just got the last couple. Which I still feel bad go. about because I feel like it's mostly just bad directors. It's mostly bad directors, but he does he's not taken yeah. seriously. The, yeah. In in Bruges, if anything, is that he gets taken seriously. Uh we do have uh one of the great American films coming up, but uh that's not next week. Uh next week is a little movie called Ask the Dust. Uh which Wait, I Ask have... the Dusk is before Yes. Vice? Yes. Oh. Yes. It better be because I'm not sure ready. To... <sighs> well, Hold okay, on. we're doing it. We're doing it. We're doing. We're doing, doing it next. It. Yeah, we're doing it next. <laughs> we're doing. We can't skip it. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Before. Why is it? Yeah, it came out on in the fucking Wikipedia March. Page. I don't understand. I don't know. It came out in March. Yeah. I wasn't wrong. Uh, but next week we're talking about Ask the Dusk, which is a uh, Dust Bowl drama he did with Saba Hayek. Maybe good. Directed by Robert Town. Uh, yeah. One of the few movies he directed. Um, second Robert then... Town project unofficially. What? I said the second Robert Town project we're gonna do. What else did Robert Town work on? He 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 had like a a very 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 uncredited rewrite on the recruit. Yes, that's right. Yeah, 
Um, but until then, uh, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Uh, tell a friend if you like this show. Uh, Andrew, once again, thank you so much. And we're really looking forward to having you back near the end of the Colin series, if that still holds. Yeah, yeah I'm uh, excited for that. Uh, and uh, we'll see you next week. And as always, uh, fuck colonialism. Stop it, I'll pack I can feel it coming.